Hello and welcome back to the next edition of the Steadfast Podcast. We are continuing our outdoor distanced best efforts to bring you this pod. However, we are continuing with our usual theme of recording outside and it just being miserable weather because it's windy, it's... I think it's about to rain. It's threatening to rain. It we've is. not had good weather yet since we've done this, but yeah, we're here. We're coming to you from the park again. I'm your host, Kieran Clements, and my co-host, Sam Wade, slash... We still haven't given you an official title yet. No, I mean, <laughs> let's be honest. I'm kind of a jack of various trades at the moment. I am certainly true. certainly wouldn't call myself a runner at the moment, put it that way. Well, I'm not so sure what I'd call myself at the moment either because <laughs> I've gone and picked myself up another little niggle. Um, oh dear. It's a suspected pulled calf uh, on my run yesterday, so we'll see what happens with that. We're giving it 48 hours before making kind of a a decision or a diagnosis. I'm definitely going to need to see somebody to get myself looked at, but yeah. I'll tell you what, another another little setback. Another setback. Well, I'll tell you what, should we segue ever so slightly and just have a brief catch-up? And I'm going to continue my ranting from the last pod. If anybody knows me, they'll know exactly where this is going. And for those of you that don't, we're going to immediately talk about the London Marathons. <laughs> well, we couldn't, we couldn't have timed this any better, really, could we? <laughs> no, well... Hot off the press this morning. Yeah. Group chat, maybe not quite blowing up. It was more you were blowing it up, ranting and... I think I've had the last word saying, like, yeah, it's a bit of an own goal here. But go on, what have London Marathon done this time? They're just a bit rubbish at trying to give... They just can't make a decision. And the the, the, the frustration comes, is like we say, as, as the world has become so adjusted in the current circumstance, everything else has been cancelled. We're even starting to see some sport come back in fashion. And we just don't have any recent updates and in terms of a timeline i believe it was something like june the 10th or june the 8th they said they were going to give us this update that came and went and then it was a little bit late then they aimed for i think it was something like july the 17th the 18th again it was that kind of middle of july time period they promised us an update which is obviously where we are sort of we've just gone past it now and they've sent out uh email this morning basically explaining that they still haven't made a decision and that there's lots of other things to consider and that they will be making their final decision and they will be letting us know dot 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 and i quote this from the email email no later than the 7th of august so that is friday friday next friday yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Next friday, i don't yeah. even know what date it is anymore no That's classic of 2020 so i'm i've have been over this whole kind of period i've been quite protective over the london marathon because it is arguably the biggest marathon in the world and like they are really really trying the hardest to still put it on it would have been very easy to have gone the way of berlin and just said on and new york as well which is in november don't forget yeah and just said nah it's cancelled we're not going to bother but they are really really trying to put it on and it's almost they're faced with an almost an impossible task but if they but said the, it's cancelled, then you have the argument of people saying, then, oh, but the Premier League is back. Like, no one touches each other in running. But it's like we said earlier, like, and this is the group that you'll be in as well, so you're probably one of the most at risk. That three-hour to five-hour kind of time target, kind of yeah. that window, especially among the charity runners, is going to be so crowded. Like, I have no idea how they're going to manage to socially distance people, whether they just say run it at your own risk which i don't think they can do from a kind of no. insurance no way kind of standpoint like they'd end up getting sued left and right but yeah i, agree. I don't know yeah i mean my my view on this is 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 very much that if you were to draw a metaphor from something like the premier league is that's comparative to only the elite races at the, the energy from yeah. the energy from a big football game comes from a crowd which 
obviously at the moment aren't in stadiums in the same way that the bulk of the energy from the London Marathon comes from the crowd watching, which is obviously an enormous crowd, but then the amount of people running. And if you were going to run elite only, which could still be a possibility, I doubt mm. that any of the elites really kind of want it because they probably won't have had... Well, if you're, an, if you're doing it as an elite, like you're doing it for... like. <laughs> Essentially, you're doing it because you're desperate to race because you've not got to for so long and you're doing it probably for the paycheck because like it's big, big major city marathons. The paycheck is big, especially yeah. if you perform well at that marathon. But I don't think that World Athletics has of yet gone back on saying that you can't run. I think it might even be for the remainder of this year. You can't run an Olympic qualifying standard for the remainder of this year. So it can't be the British Olympic trials. You can't go there to pick up an Olympic standard. So the only reason you do it is if you're Kipchoge or Bekele and you want to set a world record. Yeah. If you're just desperate to race because you've gotten yourself into really good shape training over lockdown or for a paycheck, if that on the elite side of things. Yeah, so, you know, there's there's even tangents like you explain on the elite side, but like we say, the, the main energy comes from the mass participation and... Well, that's no. what the London Marathon is really kind of famous for. That's why it's exactly. the biggest marathon in the world, isn't exactly. it? Exactly. And, and the fact that you don't have that. And this is, this is echoed not just by me ranting and raving on a microphone in the park. This, <laughs> is, this is something that I took to social media earlier to check, to make sure, you know, to verify my own feelings. And you saw those comments that I shared from Instagram and Twitter. These feelings are across everybody else <laughs> as well. You know, I tell you what, yeah. Well, there's nothing like the wrath of an amateur runner on the internet. Oh <laughs> my god! But but the thing is, you know, uh, some of the comments said things like, you know, this isn't fair on all of us. So it's not fair to those that have trained. Well, it's, it's not, not but it's though. it's also not fair on you know the organization either. Like no, they no, are very much, and this is why I'm kind of protective of them. Is they are very much stuck between a rock and a hard place. But I I would I would I would argue that they're not at this point. They've had you know at, at first when you have to make the initial decision to delay in april or march whenever it was mm. that's that's one thing they've had six months obviously expecting this to be back in fashion and back okay, yeah and everything would be okay but it's become clear certainly within the last couple of months that that's not going to be the case so no so now, i think the, the issue that they're faced with is we're kind of halfway back like we are exactly. making progress and i think they're just they're delaying it kind of blindly hoping well hopefully not as blindly as it seems but no. hoping that by the time the London Marathon is scheduled to roll around, like we would actually realistically be able to go ahead, but it would be such a scramble. Like, just, I I am of the view that they should just cancel it, but I also kind of can see what they're doing and respect what they're doing, still trying to put it on. I think the way that they could do it is that if they did some, you know, if they wanted, like we said beforehand, they need to do something maybe to keep within the spirit of it. But I don't want them to try and encourage me to run 26 miles around where I live. I, you know, some a comment <laughs> that I saw on Twitter or somewhere earlier it was to the tune of this is not the event that I signed up for. And I think that's a really crucial kind of identity to consider is that the identity of the race that you sign up for is, is big crowds, lots of noise, lots of energy. And if you don't have that, then yeah, you are running a marathon in London, but you could go out, you know, we could drive to London this afternoon and run a marathon, you know, well, you yeah, can, well, you, you might can. have, I couldn't, <laughs> I could hobble the marathon, but you know what I mean? And, and that's, and that's a really important distinction. I think the rock and the hard place thing is fine, but I think we're now beyond that and the hard place it's, it's not a hard decision to say to cancel it because I think you'd actually get a more positive reception 
from people like me and from from making an actual just, so basically what what you're saying and i think you're probably speaking for quite a lot of people here is you just want to know where you stand i'll put it i'll tell you what i put it in the comparison of something we've all had to go through recently and also co- conveys mixed emotions is all this blabber with face masks and are they going to be made mandatory are they not and, and, and i was very much when that comes i don't i don't care what decision you make make them or not just just let me know what the rules are and I'll, and I'll yeah, roll and with I'll them. them yeah you know and that's that's it's the same thing it's like the same thing we've talked about on the shoes with this podcast and everything just let just us know what the rules let are a, yeah just have it be concrete yeah and, and we will work with that and the fact that they're struggling to give people that is what i think makes it difficult no that's a very good point i think that's i mean i don't really have a huge amount more to say on london i think we did promise ourselves that we'd keep this intro short yeah. so shall we roll into the main subject of the day let me let me segue go, go on, on go on, on, on let me segue well, everyone, listeners, whilst we're on the subject of London, cast your mind back eight years and it would have been this weekend that we would have been watching the opening ceremony of the London 2012 Olympics. And the Olympics is going to be the main theme that we talk about on today's pod. It is. And it's around about now, around about this kind of week, kind of time that Tokyo should have been kicking off. Obviously, as we all know, it's been po- postponed to next year for it which shall not be named <laughs> but yeah we've basically decided to have a little bit of an olympic special today um going to go through various different things of our favorite moments hopefully we'll get onto some infamous moments but what we're going to kick off with is i have a quiz question for sam here we go and i've teased him with this one uh, pretty much all afternoon <laughs> he doesn't know what it is yet I so am- sam which wwe hall of famer is an olympic gold medalist See, I didn't watch any wrestling when I was ah, a kid. I didn't so think you did. No, but I can let me let me just let me just have a think. Let me just have a think. Is there anybody who instantly comes to mind? Is an Olympic gold medalist. An Olympic gold medalist. WWE Hall of Famer. They I think they've also acted in a few kind of movies or TV shows as well. I think they're now also on the WWE kind of what, production like- team. God, no, I don't, I, I don't know. Is the honest is the honest thing. Go on, drop yeah, on the name. Uh, <laughs> At least you didn't just throw out like a random get. I mean, I, it, it is kind of random. Like it could be anyone. It's it's not mankind, for example. It's Kurt Angle, Olympic gold medalist in, I think it was 1996 in Atlanta. So a home Olympics. That's pretty special, yeah. Yeah, pretty cool. I mean, imagine that as your life. Like you kick it off as an Olympic gold medalist. It was in freestyle wrestling by the way right kick it off as olympic gold medalist then you go on for years and years in the wwe i think he might have even been wwa champion at some point it might have been wwf when he was in it still and then you're an actor and then you're a producer for the w like he's just had a pretty sick life he's done well for himself i also reckon he's had a lot of horrendous injuries he's he he's going to be a a hobbling man (laughs) probably yeah i mean it's obviously wwe is very fake but like they still put their bodies through some serious stuff yeah it's nasty it is nasty mm. some of the injuries they go but anyway back let's not, more let's towards not talk about injuries you'll come out <laughs> you'll, you'll break out in a cold sweat yeah i know jesus <laughs> well um yeah some other kind of random olympic gold medalists that i can't that came to mind when i was thinking about this as well because that was that's the only quiz question i really have for you these other two are fairly obvious but it kind of made me think like oh yeah that's like maybe not everybody knows that or one of them in particular like in like 10 15 years you can be like wait what so muhammad ali was an example that i thought of where i actually i kind of thought like he probably did compete in the olympics but like i don't know did he but yeah muhammad ali olympic gold medalist obviously under cassius clay yeah and um something that's interesting on the back of that i believe at the next olympics 
1964, which I think was the last time it was held, held in Tokyo. It was, yeah. We'll have a whole segment on that. Goody gumdrops. Um, <laughs> I think that was the year that Joe Frazier then went on to win his Olympic medal. And then Muhammad then Ali and obviously Joe the Frazier. famous rivalry between... Yeah, the famous ri- rivalry, three fights, fight of the century, thriller of Manila, etc., etc. So Yeah, definitely. Well, I actually, it only just popped into my mind. This Olympic special is probably the best opportunity you're ever going to get to hijack this and make it all about boxing. So <laughs> there we go, recovering I'll, more of our I'll try races. and keep us vaguely athletics focused, but there's a good, we're going to talk about a lot of boxing, I feel, over the next however long hour or so. Why not? <laughs> I want I want to throw out, though, I am an enormous olympic fan like when the olympics is on as an event i am hooked it does <laughs> and the thing is it doesn't even you're matter. the guy that sits watching even like the dressage not quite the dressage <laughs> but uh, i do find myself watching i'll watch the show jumping that's <laughs> that's fun i find myself watching an awful lot of swimming because i used to swim so much as a kid like yep. i always tell myself that part of my brain is dead and buried and gone and then the moment the olympics is on i'm hooked um <laughs> yeah, cycling in the velodrome as well i mean those two to me i i enjoy them just because they're very closely related to running which is my sport obviously um i the rowing as well i love the rowing um the gymnastics and the diving as well anything like that is just you know what's really interesting as well is now you know how the bbc is showing all of those kind of olympic throwbacks and things like that yeah when they go to the velodrome and they show the cycling it's mad seeing how many guys that are in the tour de france now like super long distance cyclists were kind of sprinting in the velodrome at the start of their career which it, I mean, it draws a really good parallel to kind of marathoners starting their careers on the on track. The track yeah, exactly. which I didn't know that was a thing in cycling. So that's I and mean, that's pretty cool. Like Bradley Wiggins, for example, won yeah. a bunch of Olympic gold medals. Oh yeah, no, he's well, um, he was extremely well decorated. And I think some of the cycle. I mean, I don't know a huge amount about cycling, but I think a lot of the names that we sort of know and recognise as Team Sky and Ineos and all those yeah, sort of things now. Uh, yeah, what's his name? Garant Thomas. You know, yeah, they, they all made their all, name on the track before yeah. going to the Plus, longer distance. Track cycling is nuts. It's so yeah. scary. Yeah. Has, have you ever been in a velodrome? I've not, but I've seen pictures that kind of illustrate how like, when people try ridiculous. and stand on it and they just yeah. slip down. Like it is a crazy, crazy thing to and the speed <laughs> they go as well is just oh. frightening. Yeah, no. I mean well, from cross training, like I had a little bit of a go with cycling and things like that and I got absolutely broken by our mate David on a forty five mile cycle ride <laughs> um, a couple of weeks ago. Haven't actually been on a bike since. <laughs> but yeah, no, it's given me a real appreciation for how hard that sport is. But anyway, so our last, like, kind of, it's not really a surprise Olympic gold medalist, but I think in 10, 15 years, it will actually be quite a good bit of trivia because people who are sort of, you know, young teenagers now, like 10, 11, 12, 13. I've got, go a, phrase, I've got a phrase for you, the Instagram generation. The in- oh, that's brilliant. Right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, the Instagram generation summarizes this person pretty well because their family... Uh, they just are Pretty, the embodiment they just are of Instagram. Instagram. Yeah. So obviously, <laughs> Caitlyn Jenner is who we're talking about, who won the Olympic gold medal in the men's decathlon in, I've got it written down here, in 1976. So in Montreal, under her birth name and birth gender of Bruce Jenner. It's incredible, and isn't it? Like that's, my prediction is she is not going to be famous for that at all. No. Within the next five, 10 years. Like, yeah, like we say, the Instagram generation, the teenagers of today, probably know who Caitlyn Jenner is but they probably don't know just how good of an athlete Bruce Jenner was yeah and like decathlon is the world's best athlete that's literally the title they give to the winner of the decathlon yeah I mean it's an incredible it's an incredible feat to to witness and how like you say just and and the time scale at which they cram it all in is unbelievable (laughs) yeah yeah (laughs) to to be able to that you know multi-discipline yeah over that is is astonishing interestingly enough somebody did a I think it was a heptathlon within like just one day 
That sounds like they just did it all. That sounds exhausting. Within a couple of hours. <laughs> but they actually, I think they did quite well. They just like, buzzed off the, off the energy. It kind of made me, it, like, it made me think because some of those events, with all due respect, they're not physically taxing. No. So something like, for example, a long jump isn't that physically taxing. No. So you can recover quite quickly and then go on to, say, a 100, a 100 meter hurdles or yeah. an 800, whatever. I can't remember what the order of the events is, but. I think it might be better to just bang them all out as quickly as you can. <laughs> like, that's what I'd want to do. Like, maybe take, like, 10 minutes between each event. Yeah. Change your shoes or whatever. Just whilst like, your heart rate's up, yeah. Yeah, just bang them out. And, like, if you get into that focus, like, if you get into that flow state, into the zone, that can transition between the events. And you can probably, you know, knock a good amount off your personal best. Like, you could have... How many times have you seen in the decathlon or in the heptathlon somebody has an amazing day one and then comes back has a night's sleep and then just isn't quite in that same place yeah. the next day yeah, and just real. blows it on day two that yeah, happens all real. the time so yeah. yeah i thought that was kind of an interesting point. no it's, it's a really good point right so we'll transition on to our next little segment um which is one that i thought of it's the greatest athletes never to win an olympic gold medal and because i'm a running nerd the three that sprung to mind for me were literally all 1500 meter runners go on so i got steve cram who came second to sebco i think that was in montreal no no it wasn't in montreal it was in 84 but i can't remember where 84 was was that mexico was no, that no, no. That, was, that was a bit longer that was longer ago than that, wasn't it? I've, i do have it written somewhere because something else happened at that olympics um uh, when was los angeles way. Was that LA? Oh, it might have been LA actually. Yeah, yeah, I think it was. Yeah, so yeah, finished second to Sebco in LA in '84. I bet you. Never, so, I bet you somewhere in somewhere in Cram's like archives somewhere there's a letter that Coe's written to him with a signed photograph of them over the finishing line that just says like "not quite" or something <laughs> like that. You know, there's going to be some sort of sarcastic dig that's been that's been shared between the two of them. <laughs> well, possibly. And I suppose Cram could do the same to Coe of being the first guy under three thirty for the fifteen hundred. But yeah. yeah, I mean, Crammy was arguably one of our greatest, arguably possibly our greatest ever fifteen hundred meter runner. I think he's run the fastest time. He was the first man under three thirty for the fifteen hundred. Like I said held world records in the 15 and the mile just yeah overall Leg- legacy exactly I, like one of the greatest milers of all time but never won the olympics equally jim ryan one of the greatest milers of all time never won the olympics famously ran his 351 mile on on a cinder track by himself i think i'm pretty sure he still has the u.s record for no no alan webb now has it but ran 355 as a high schooler in the u.s this is in the 60s as well so it's just unreal just times, phenomenal athlete but Scary only times. ever finished second at the olympics i say only finished second at the olympics that's yeah. one more second than either of us is ever going to get yeah. at the olympics <laughs> but yeah jim ryan one of the greatest athletes again not to have won an olympic gold medal and finally the final 1500 meter slash miler that i've got which never won an olympic gold medal never even won an olympic medal right and is arguably the greatest miler of all time or at least the most famous miler of all time roger bannister yeah. But can you believe that? The first man to break four minutes in the mile, only for, again, only, finished fourth <laughs> in the Olympics, 1500. It doesn't, it almost doesn't sound right, doesn't it? No. But uh, like, I even had to double check it myself. I was like, surely Roger Bannister at least medals. Like, I knew he yeah. hadn't won the Olympics, but I thought, surely he got a, a bronze silver, or something. A bronze yeah. Or, yeah. Or maybe just doubled up in the 800 and medal. No, fourth in the 1500 was his best Olympic finish. 
Wow. It's yeah, incredible. I mean, and another and another British athlete who obviously didn't have the same fairness else did the same Olympic glories. Paula Radcliffe jumped to my mind. Oh, that's a she, good one. She, yeah. she competed in 2004 in Athens. It was hot, obviously. Um, and I think that's kind of where you've, you've got the people that... I think Paula Ratcliffe, sadly, has two different reputations. She's got the reputation as a person who just <laughs> redefined women's times in the marathon. And yeah, we, I know what the other one saying. you're going to say. And the other one is a little bit more, um, you know, toilet humour is probably the polite way of wording it. Yeah, I'd say so. <laughs> um, but, but yeah, she's known for that. And, and I think kind of... It's so sad because obviously she absolutely obliterated the world record in 2003. So everyone would sort of assume that she'd be able to translate yeah, that I into mean, Olympic I, success. She's won the world cross country and things like that. So it's not like she can't perform at like a championship type of level. Yeah, like those, she just, yeah, was never able to get it done at the Olympics. Yeah, and, 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 and it was, and don't get me wrong though, Athens, Greece, it was hot, it was nasty conditions. And I think mm. that whole kind of, you know, I politely put it, toilet humor kind of, Rep- reputation I think that was where it kind of first happened and where it sort yeah. of it went downhill from there not to say that she was not successful in her own right after that point but well that that marathon that world record former world record now marathon is arguably still one of the greatest races anyone's executed like yeah regardless of literally any other factor yeah it's probably the greatest race anyone's ever executed so yeah yeah, the fact that she wasn't able to win an Olympic medal at all or Olympic gold medal is, yeah, it's surprising. Like, yeah. she's one of, pretty much like we said for this category, one of the greatest athletes never to win an Olympic gold medal. The last one that I kind of have from the track that springs to mind, which, I mean, it, it's tenuous because I would argue that he was probably about the fourth best runner in this event, was Steve Prefontaine in the 5,000 in the 72 Olympics. Now, obviously, his early death prevented what maybe would have been although I struggle to believe that he would have won in Montreal. But, yeah, the argument could be made that he was the fourth best runner on that day. I don't envisage any situation where he beats Lassie Viren. No, but i tell you what, and I, I think I understand what your brain is doing here, is that when you think about enormously successful athletes, and you can put those in the context of, you know, runners or swimmers or sports or any sport when you know when you know when like a name kind of transcends i'm not saying that every person ever you, you can stop on the street has heard of steve prefontaine mm. but when you get these people that kind of have a reputation slightly beyond what they've done because they're just they're just known to be good yeah he's like you just know he's kind of the, one of the biggest legends not yeah. to have won an olympic gold medal whereas everyone that we've kind of mentioned previous has been yeah the better kind of the be- the best athletes like have yeah. had the most achievements outside of an olympic gold medal i suppose but haven't actually won that olympic gold medal but yeah like pre was an out- obviously he was an yeah. outstanding athlete like he finished fourth in the olympics but yeah. he never set a world record he never won a world championship that's it i think my, my point i was going towards is you just there's there's just kind of an assumption that because they're the best oh they must have won the olympic medal but yeah. that must have been easy for them <laughs> you know just the phrase olympic and gold medal it's probably one of those things that gets tossed around a lot but well exactly it's like well here's an example from football is probably the one that i can draw best examples from but david beckham wasn't that good of a footballer was he really but I'd he's very very famous yeah that's uh, that's kind of the the best parallel that i can draw but i know you have some good ones from outside of athletics of kind of brilliant athletes that never won an olympic gold medal so crack on with those yeah well the first one obviously we had a little discussion as we were um, sort of walking past it was on our minds we walked past the tennis courts earlier it was um roger federer 
didn't yeah. did, now so, well we did our research on this and he's kind of an honorable mention in this yeah. category but because he has won an olympic gold however it was in doubles not the kind of singles tournament where he's won wait for it everything else <laughs> literally, <laughs> literally everything else um, and well the surprising thing about it to me was as well like it was you'd think okay maybe he just didn't enter the singles or maybe he just had a little bit of a nightmare and lost in one of the earlier rounds like no nah, he made the final but he just lost to andy murray in 2012 yeah. and had the 2012 olympics been anywhere other than you know a home olympics a london olympics you'd bet your bottom dollar he'd have beaten andy murray yeah but and i think that's the entire separation there you go that's i that's think that's faint. why he doesn't have an olympic individual yeah. gold medal but that that's an interesting one um as kieran referenced earlier boxing i can draw a a few and one yes, that here just we ju- go. one that just jumps to mind is Floyd Mayweather. Now, anyone who's watched a Floyd Mayweather fight or just knows his record of fifty and zero, it's just he's literally probably the greatest boxer of all time. Ju- I, I might be out there. by saying that, but no, yeah, no, no, he's, but he's at least top five. Yeah, I mean, you can't. The thing is, you, you just can't deny it. The fact that he was excellent. Um, but there was a I can't remember exactly which Olympics it was, but there was a an iffy decision a lot of people reckon which meant that he the best he could do is where he finished and won a bronze medal uh-huh. um so he won a bronze medal but everyone again you'd look back and you just assume that he'd won everything yeah um, you think oh well if he tried he would have won the olympics yeah but but that's it is a uh, slightly and that's that's one of the ways that boxing goes uh, more so than running you, know, you can't get a wrong decision in running uh, in <laughs> no. boxing sadly i guess you, can. you could get somebody disqualified but yeah exactly but yeah so there was um there was a few i'm just trying to think if there's any Anybody else? I mean, well, there's, Amir there's the one that I kind of thought of is um, Tyson Fury. He, you had a good story about him. Yeah, so Fury wasn't actually called up for the squad. They were they focused on some other athletes. I think uh, David Price was part of that squad as well. And anyone who knows boxing and knows David Price has had a uh, slightly less successful career as a professional than a lot of people expected. But yeah, Fury Fury never got the call, and he got cheesed off by it. Essentially, he was he yeah. was he was absolutely. Um, he was absolutely devastated that you know he and i think a lot of that comes from more as his cultural background somebody is a, you know as a gypsy and as a traveler <laughs> yeah it comes from that but interestingly around i think it was i can't remember if that was was it beijing or was it yeah it must have been around beijing but interestingly it's the person who won the bronze medal and actually this went on to give him his professional nickname um was deontay wilder somebody who obviously tyson fury now okay. had yeah, Tyson Fury has obviously famously now defeated him, and they've had two massive yeah. fights. So Wilder never won a gold medal either. No, so that's, another, that's another boxing, well, arguably one of the greats of boxing. That well, certainly yeah. in the certainly in the modern, you know, the last five years, he's he's done yeah. a lot. And um, and it's funny because his nickname in the ring is the Bronze Bomber, and that's where it comes from. <laughs> I didn't know that. That's great. Yeah, yeah. Um, Amir sticking Khan, with boxing, yeah, I was Amir about Khan, to yeah. say we've got Amir Khan's silver medal, which Athens. Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean that that was probably the only reason I would ever have heard of Amir Khan. So well, that was that. That was the reason that I knew who Amir Khan was before I was into boxing. So, yeah. so that's it. I, in terms of other people that have won things like that, I do remember there's one story just whilst we're on the Olympic thing in the tangent, and this is something that I just want to give a little bit of a shout out to the 2008 Olympics. In and we can chinwag about this in a moment, but obviously Michael Phelps, as we know, uh, I think he's the most decorated athlete ever, but in the Olympics by a I fair wouldn't know margin. Off the top of my head, but I would imagine so. It's, yeah. m- it's monstrous. He's got like twenty gold medals. Yeah, well, there's that famous picture of him with all of his medals, isn't there? Yeah, it's just, um, there's barely enough room on his chest, and he's a broad-chested man. <laughs> well, interestingly, um, in I want to say it was 2016, so obviously the last Olympics, there was a there was a swimmer from Singapore 
who beat him. Uh, the, Michael Phelps got the silver, this guy from Singapore. I can't remember the Singaporean's um, name, but he won it. And the funny thing was this Singaporean was a kid, literally, and grew up effect- effectively watching all of his first lot of gold medals. And there's a picture of huh. Michael Phelps as a, like, as, a, you know, as a fully grown man with this little like, kid swimmer. Yeah. And then there's the picture, obviously, how many years later with them on the podiums. And oh, this that's guy, quite cool. And this, this guy, literally, he was, he was only young. He was like you know, 20s, early 20s, something like that. Michael Phelps was getting on a touch by comparison. But um, he's, he's, he's like, you know, he's got Phelps next to him with a silver and he's there with a the gold. And they sort of explained <laughs> that story. It was quite incredible little, uh, you know, swimming ane- anecdote. Nice. That's quite a good one. Uh, well, that's probably a good way to kick off our next like little segmenty type of thing that we'll go into, which is kind of our favorite Olympic moments. So what we consider being... Yeah, just moments from the Olympics that stand out to our, for us. We'll do. We'll concentrate on the positive stuff now. And we'll go maybe if we've got time, get into some of the infamous moments of the Olympics. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I guess you've kicked it off. So I guess it's my turn. Go. Uh. So obviously the thing that kind of got me initially kind of into running when you first start running, especially around the time that I did, it was Co versus Ovet. That was like the big kind of thing like that's probably the greatest rivalry that we've ever had in distance running especially in britain so co versus over in the 1980 moscow olympics like how much do first of all how much do you know about that truthfully not a huge amount but obviously i know that one name has since kind of become synonymous with the other because of because you got that sweet spot of two athletes that were really in their primes and in their primes for a decent amount of time and as well. Absolutely on top of the world like as you, well. Like yep. you often get it where they sort of, you know, after an event, they go, oh, well, you know, that person was sort of getting on a bit or was a bit slipping. But when you've got two people that have sort of developed side by side, especially when it's a domestic rivalry as well, that adds a little yeah. extra well, spice into it. Well, here's why it was so spicy in 1980 is because those two. I'm pretty sure, other than like an English schools championship or something like that, this was the first time they'd actually raced each other. Despite being from the same country, despite being in the same event, despite both being kind of the best athletes in the world for the last couple of years, 1980, the Olympics, was pretty much the first time they'd ever faced off against each other. Um, and yeah, basically, Co was supposed to win the 800, and Ovette was supposed to win the 1500. Ovet had not been beaten in something like 30 races or something over the 1500 meters. Wow. And Ko, I think, I think was the current world record holder for the 800. He might not have been at that time, but... But he was close. It was, yeah, he was arguably the best 800 meter runner in the world. And, and yeah, the 800 meters is first and Ko just completely bottles it. Like just a tactical nightmare. So it's a slow <laughs> race. They're about 55 or so through the bell. And Coe's just miles back, and somebody starts going off the front. Ovet slots into second, follows them, and there's an image of Coe, just look the look on his face coming down on the back straight as just him thinking, oh, sh**, <laughs> i got a lot of work to do here. Uh, eventually, obviously, anyone who has watched it will know, Ovet runs away and wins the race, and Coe just about comes through for second. Um so that's obviously second in the Olympics is pretty good. A British one too is pretty good. But essentially the media just destroyed Co. Like they were just calling, it, calling him a failure, like saying he's blown it. Ovet's the favorite for the 1500s. They're saying Co, that's Co's chance of an Olympic gold medal just gone out the window. So the 1500 meter rolls around. Ovet's basically been partying for a week straight. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but he's still favorite to win it. Again, it's a slow race, yada yada. Uh, I think it's... Jürgen Straub, I think is, I think he's German. It was definitely Straub. 
he takes out pretty hard with about 700 to go. And Ko just sort of follows him, just sits on the back of him. He strings it right out. Ko just does his usual thing, slips by him in the last 100 meters or so, and yeah, wins the race. Straub comes in for second, Ovet's third. So they've gone, they've kind of done the old switcheroo on each other. Anyone who knows that story would have just been bored, you know, out of their minds for the last two minutes. But it, I really like recalling it. That's basically my take on the whole thing. And yeah, it was just such an awesome rivalry. And going back and watching the videos on YouTube and stuff like that now, just I can't even imagine having two athletes of that quality. Like we have a quality amount of depth, especially strength and depth, up the front end of our 1,500 meter runners at the moment. And the rate Kenya's going, we may be winning gold medals because they might not actually be in the Olympics next time it rolls around. But no. yeah, no. No controversial statement. Actually... It's one thing we should have mentioned in the top of the top of the show, but we'll just quickly give it a nod now. Elijah Menangoy, who was 2017 London 2017 1500 meter world champion, just got popped for doping the other day. Whereabouts oh, failure? Another Kenyan whereabouts failure. But that, that's boring. Doesn't matter. Back to Cohen Ovet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, back to Cohen Ovet. Like, I don't really have much more to say about it other than it was just awesome. And you need to go and watch all of the videos on I YouTube. Do. I've got so much. Honestly, I've got so much athletics catch up to do because the things i always watch the athletics but there's this is this is one of those problems with the olympics is that to have a truly outstanding moment you need to be something exceptionally special and there's just so much that happens in the course of an an olympic game so much going on and there's you you can never you can never categorize all of it i'll tell you something that did remind me though is we're talking about close domestic wins and this is not this is only domestic because a british team won but i don't know if you remember this the first Olympics I ever really remember watching consciously was 2004. Right. And this happened in 2004. And I remember really deliberately, I think, because my family would like to watch the Olympics as well. I think we were getting ready to go to a party or something like that. And we just held off because we wanted to watch the 4x100 final in 2004 ah, yes. and I've got I've just got the times up great on my Britain phone one. I think Mark Lewis Francis I think was the anchor that day yeah you got it and I remember it being super close but I just I just reminded myself as to how close this was <laughs> but I remember literally I, I remember being being a kid and like I said we're going out and I remember my mum was next to me and we were just kind of ready to ready to make a move and it was like no we'll just watch this race it's only going to be a minute or so you know whatever and just we'll, we'll do it Yeah. and I just remember seeing this and thinking like uh, you know, and thinking, you know, Great Britain don't win the running things. Like, we're good at other stuff, but we don't necessarily win the we running yeah, ones. Yeah, the track is kind of... You know, it's like America and, and other sort of, you know, other places that's got yeah. more success. Um, but I remember watching that thing and just they had perfect changes. They ran a perfect race and they won the gold medal. I remember my mum being really excited and me kind of <laughs> feeding off that energy as well. It was like, wow, we did it. But then the time, do you remember the time? I have absolutely, I couldn't even take a guess at it. Let me show you. I've just got the article up here. That's how close it was. Oh, wow. It's one one hundredth of a second. So 38.07 to 38.08 from the US. So Jesus. we, yeah, we absolutely won the that US by a whisker. Uh, with a certain Justin Gatlin on the second leg anyway. So dot, dot, dot. in my view, they should be disqualified. <laughs> but <laughs> but I, seem to, I seem to recall within that as well. And I think this was in 2004. Again, I remember watching. Although who was it? Let's see who's on. We didn't have Dwayne Chambers on our team, did we? We might have done. Yeah, let's have a look. It feels It feels about right. No, what we didn't it? have. No, no, no. So who did we have? Let's J- shout on J- that anyway. Jason Not Gar- that they listen. Jason Gardner. Yeah. Darren Campbell. Mm-hmm. Marlon Devonish. Oh, yeah. Mark Lewis Francis. That's, I mean, that's a quality team. So. Strong. <laughs> Although um, you'd imagine that our 
with the state of British sprinting as it is at the moment, you'd imagine we could put together a four by one team that could beat that team. So that's well, exciting like, going yeah, forward. Definitely. Um, I was going to say, um, on close races, I think within that same Olympic year, I'm fairly sure it was, don't ask me who, like what discipline of rowing it was, but we won a rowing medal. I think it was one of the big, I think it was the four, the, the, I think, like the Coxless Four or something. And we, yeah, we I think Canada. I remember that, not for the race, but for the presentation of the medals and one of the members of the team getting a little bit excited to be receiving his medal. <laughs> yeah, well, they, they wear a lot of... Uh, <laughs> What's the right? What's the what's the polite way to wear it? Skin tight skin tight clothing. Yeah. yeah. So um, which so also was, gets wet. Yeah. Exactly. So <laughs> it's uh, it creates very deliberate shapes. We won't say anything more than that. But yeah, that was that was when um because I that think could, that could be one of your favourite moments well, of the Olympics. Oh, shut it. I think that was like when Steve Redgrave um and James Cracknell. I think that was their 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 I think so yeah. big medal. But yeah, I remember that was another one. It was like crazy close, like half a second mm. or a tenth of a second or something. You like know, the, some something that when you're watching it, you you. You, you think can't you know. really tell, but yeah. you kind of can. You yeah. think you think you know, and, and they you go to the replay, and it's just like this tiniest bit of a boat just gets across the line first. <laughs> it's a hair. It's a yeah. hair. Yeah. <laughs> so, like I said, like in terms of Olympic memories and like anecdotes and random little Olympic moments, that I remember. I remember a few, like I say, from 2004, but 2008. Like I said, I want to jump into those if we can in the right way because those I remember those really clearly, and that was like my first kind of Olympics. That I just remember really being like completely astonished at everything that happened in it go on then because i mean there are two things to me that stand out from 08 and that's obviously that it was bolt's massive breakthrough like unbelievable yeah just burst onto the scene he's setting world records while still celebrating like there if i had to pick one moment that defined the 08 olympics to me it's usain bolt celebrating if, down the home stretch of the hunt well, not down the home stretch because it's all the home stretch in the last 20 30 meters of the hundred if i had to pick one moment to define even to define sport i would be tempted to use that moment it is that it is that it is that iconic of a it moment. is that iconic yeah. of a moment yeah. to me I, um, like which is kind of funny because it eclipses the better performances that he had a year later at the world champs in true but uh, it just the thing is and, and we've got to get into it because i feel i feel we've got two choices we can either get into it now or we can bring it back and this will be like our greatest olympic moment because for me it is nah, let's, definitive. Ju- let's just go for it let's for me for it, it, fresh is, in your mind. it is the definitive greatest olympic moment bar none bar none for me and fact, yeah I, there's just so much going on with it as well like it, he was fueled purely on chicken nuggets his shoelace was untied like gold shoes as well gold shoes and he'd never actually really won anything up until then either that's the, the that's the, the astonishing thing and uh, well the difference comes and this is this is what i like to do is obviously i like to bring it into this kind of how i remember it and try and tell the story my way is that every understanding i had of sprinting was it was always close like yeah. it's always really close as that kind of if somebody won it they won it but it's there a, was you think of dipping at the line yeah. you associate that with like the 100 meters don't you bang or, bang on and the fact tell you that what, you associate it with if a person it's still 110 meters but you associate it with colin jackson's massive dive across the line he always used to do yeah exactly you just you you think like they got it they got it like that kind yeah. of there's that oh like but the thing with that race in particular is the fact that it was such a definitive win. The fact that somebody could be so much further ahead than somebody else in that short space. It's not like it was just a weak year either. Like Tyson Gay, I'm fairly sure, was in that yeah. final. He went on to run 9.69, I think. I think he's Which run... I think was also the time that Bolt won that race in, but he obviously yeah. ran 9.59 the year after. Yeah. But I, like he's no slouch and he no. just destroyed him it just the, the the field was completely decimated and i remember again i remember watching it in my room or you know in the f- sort of front room family room with the family family around me and we were all just aghast at what had happened the yeah. fact that somebody could run along 
with their arms down and the fact that the other one is the finishing image. You know how they have finishing photos yeah. and they show you how close it was. The fact that Bolt is just on his own with his arms like out by his side. And that's the photo finish. <laughs> and that's the photo finish. Like you couldn't define anything more ridiculous for a photo. Like a photo it's finish yeah, is something. dominance personified. A photo finish is something you use to show how close something was, not yeah. how dramatically far apart it all was. <laughs> and then when you consider how fast that race was, it's got, again, it's got everything. The fact that he was fueled on chicken nuggets, the fact that his gold shoelaces were untied, the fact that he broke the world record he by a massive by margin. Mile. He was dancing around before the race. And the fact like, that he just yeah. did it with so much charisma and character <laughs> as well. And that was what that was what exploded Bolt into the that's, superstar. I was going to say, that's what really sold him. I I don't know about you, but personally, I had never heard of him before the 08 Neither had I. No. Neither I, mean, I. Not, he, I wasn't a huge like, athletics fan. The only athletics I re- I'd run the 800 meters for the school on like a like an inter-schools competition, something yeah. like that. Well, interestingly, Bolt did actually take part in the 2004 Olympics. Um, not as a that. not as a hundred meter runner. Um, I think he was he still on the doing relay or something. No, I think he was might be doing or four. two or fours. Um, and he didn't do very well. His technique was all over the show. And I know mm. from a technical standpoint, you know, there's that whole conversation. Well, if you look, he won the World Junior Championships way way back when he, I think he was 15 years old, and yeah. that was in the t- that was in the 200. And yeah, if you look at him running there really versus awkward. look at him, yeah, it just doesn't. He fixed something along the way, and I that think probably went a good way to kind of a big part of it. And I don't want to sort of be degrading in any way to people who train their bodies and things like that. But you know, you, you know, you, you hear the phrase like man strength, like oh, they haven't got their man strength yet. Mm. I think he just kind of came into his own and he sort of you know. Well, I don't know if you watch the video of him at World Juniors. He is a again, we'll use a common man phrase: is man child. He's a proper man child. He's like he's six a monstrous foot three. man. Yeah, like he's huge. <laughs> he's probably bigger than that. He's probably six five or six six there. And yeah. Yeah, I mean, he's huge versus most sprinters anyway. Yeah, and I think this is it. This is all the, the things that paint the picture. The fact that he had like a signature pose and the fact he was grinning, like it all, yeah. if you couldn't put together a better formula, the reason that will always be the greatest Olympic moment, for me at least, unless something crazy happens in future <laughs> Olympics, which they probably will, but for now at least, is I don't think if you tried to dream it up, you could create a better like formula no, I don't like, think so. Create a better formula than than that for somebody who can that can just blow like blow the world away. And then it's the fact that it was not just a case of he did it once; he did it nine times throughout the <laughs> Olympic. <laughs> well, I think cycles. one of those got taken away for it somebody did. else's yeah, doping offence. Nest- Nesta Carter, who, yeah, who was, let, yeah. let the squad down on the that four but, by four, yeah. But it just like I say, just anyway, that that's my that's my defining that's athletics. <laughs> not, just not even around, just like aghast, like I say, just yeah. astonishing times. Well, another thing from the 08 Olympics that really stands out to me on completely the other end of the spectrum is the marathon. Is Sammy Wanjiru just completely uh, again? He we changed the it, face yeah. of how we changed. We talked about this in one of our other podcasts. He completely changed the way that people run the marathon. Just attacked it in the heat and humidity in in Beijing, where. People just falling by the roadside, like just absolutely spent, dead on their feet. Sammy Wanjiru just thought, I, I don't care. I'm, I'm just going to go for it. Like, yeah. And yeah. that's it. Like I say, just for the, the 2008 Olympics, you know, no matter where your morals stand on China, I'm a fine one to talk on that. Oh, yeah. We'll, um, we'll stay away from that. We will, definitely. Um, you know, the fact that then the next Olympics was in London and that had its own share of controversies and amazing moments and everything like something yeah, well, about London is now referred to as the drug olympics <laughs> oh god oh god yeah, that's that's the reputation that they've got <laughs> but but yeah it just it it just astounds me and you know and watching the opening ceremony and just you know with the drummers and everything i don't know if you remember well, that but it was all astounding i was going to say those two moments and the opening ceremony are probably the two things that stand out most to me about the beijing olympics i Absolutely. don't know if you do you have any other moments that kind of 
you think are like yeah that's a defining moment like beijing that's yeah the only other one is, is there's one specific shot now we'll talk about this briefly and then we can move forward but michael phelps like who we've already mentioned just destroyed yeah. everything and he did it in things oh, of course that was 08 was kind of his prime wasn't when, it? well that's when he said at the start of the olympic games he said i'm gonna set eight world records and win eight gold medals <laughs> and he won his gold i think he won he, no, definitely won all of his eight gold medals, one of which I think it was Chad Lacoste or someone or, or anyway, it was somebody he beat in the, I want to say it was the 100 butterfly and he beat right. them by, again, like a tenth of a second. It was a whisk. <laughs> it was so close, but he won his eight gold medals and I want to say he got seven world records. So, you know, no slouch, but the defining shot for me, I'll show it to you after we stop recording, is it was in one of the relay. It was in, it was, I can't remember if it was the... Um, if it was the med the team medley or whether it was in the just freestyle. The, the freestyle yeah um but basically those those were the medals which that was the thing where obviously it wasn't he wasn't the only direct person responsible like he could yeah he had to rely on his teammates yeah and when his team comes in and wins there's this shot of michael phelps like arms out similar to the bolt pose but he's like <laughs> he's literally just screaming and you can see like all the That's sinews awesome. and his muscles and yeah. everything like it just you can see him just absolutely just like yes i've got it because he go because he knows <laughs> at that point he's like i know that this now is all he's down to it, me like, he, yeah, he's i'm in the driving seat and just there. and that shot to me is just one of those absolute definitive moments of Olymp <laughs> of olympic sport nice well in terms of definitive moments of the olympic sport Let's talk about some of now the bigger moments that kind of have transcended the sport. So the one that, that really stands out to me as, and it's obviously quite topical for things that are going on in the news and everything at the moment, is the Black Power salute that happened in 1968 in Mexico City. It was Tommy Smith and John Carlos who had finished first and third in the 200 meters. And yeah, that to me is one of the images of just the Olympics in general like if you had yeah. to sum up the olympics in 10 photographs that would definitely be that's one a, of them yeah no definitely and that's a that's a fun it's a that's a fun image. project yeah it's i think we should do up, that actually. sum that up stick yeah. it on instagram or something yeah be a good blog post or something um yeah no i agree with that and that is again when you think about that even if you don't necessarily because i couldn't even tell you what events they competed in but i, I, can, I but i can see the you know you can see but, the image yeah and well, it's very powerful that's that exactly that's kind of that's kind of the point really isn't it it's like i had to do a little bit of research to remember john carlos's name i knew tommy smith and i knew the 200 but the fact that the message that they were sending has kind of like i said completely transcended like their yeah. themselves and their achievements yeah yeah, I, yeah. It, in a lot of ways it, it's sad that it's still relevant and we need to bring it up as a, as a as a moment but it is important that it happened and it's important to draw you know to draw from it and, and move forward exactly and if the world does end up sorting itself out basically and you know people are actually given equal rights you know that might be looked upon as one of the things that sparked a change in the world definitely well and interestingly um no, we'll talk about that in your infamous moments. I was going to kind of tangent from it. You know where I'm going to go with it, but we'll talk about it on your on on something else. Yeah. Um, so I mean, this one I kind of I thought initially I was like, is this one of the infamous moments? But it's such a, it brought about such a positive change, especially lately. And I've seen this image chucked around quite a lot lately because it is such a powerful image, supporting the kind of the black rights movement. That I think it it strikes me as being in the best moments category rather than. Yeah, no, that's, a, that's a positive spin. I think so. Right. Um, well, another one. If we're talking about famous images from the Olympics, 
kind of I think something that a lot of people would recognize and I've seen it kind of as like a poster thing for the Olympics is the Fosbury flop yeah that the the first picture of somebody going backwards over the high jump bar I think is quite an iconic image well did you know to add into the iconic things which by the way that was also in Mexico City in 68 I thought it was but I didn't want to say it until I checked my notes but yeah (laughs) it is yeah so fun fact did you know he was wearing odd running shoes that night he was. What do you mean? He was like wearing... he was wearing odd shoes. Oh, okay. Sorry, <laughs> running shoes. I just say. I just <laughs> yeah, say the word running. It'd be even yeah. more impressive. He'd done it in running yeah. shoes. No, but um, but yeah, he was wearing odd shoes um, that day, which really? is just one of those like fun. <laughs> he was a bit. He was well. a bit of a, like bolt with his shoes untied. He was a bit of a quirky bloke. Um, when you actually hear well, about his him. name was Dick Fosbury, like you can't, <laughs> you can't imagine that he would have been a normal, just like boring guy. Uh, here's a fun fact that I remember hearing once: is that he wasn't actually in the opening ceremony. He just drove out by himself into the middle of the desert and went stargazing. <laughs> that's awesome and the fact that he was the fact that he was he was it wasn't like a i don't know Probably what you a dangerous thing to do as well for yeah. an american in mexico city yeah well what you might like, call was he a american or was he english no he's american he yeah. was american wasn't he yeah, yeah. yeah. The, the fact that he was an engineering student as well and that he literally he worked out the the idea for the flop on a mechanical basis yeah that's what's that's just <laughs> what makes and it so he funny literally revolutionized the sport of high jump as well like who, literally who, everyone yeah. does a Fosbury flop now yeah exactly and actually that's a good point that you say that like it was he won an Olympic gold medal not necessarily by being more talented or training harder than everyone else but actually just by being cleverer than everybody else because everyone else then started to copy that technique and I didn't know this until I was researching earlier he tried and failed to then qualify for the 72 Olympics. Yeah, I, he never competed in the Olympics after yeah. after he won, which is, which it, again, mad. is, like, is insane. Think, like, there may be other reasons, like maybe he just stopped training so hard because he kind of realized, realized his potential and he kind of achieved his goal. But part of me kind of thinks like, yeah, he won an Olympic gold medal just by being smarter than everyone else. Well, the impression... By completely changing the game. The impression that I've got from my albeit limited knowledge of his stories that he just kind of won it just kind of to test his own principle it was kind of i don't think he was like say a career <laughs> athlete in the, in the same way that obviously we we know and understand them now it was literally a case of he was an athletic bloke who happened to be an engineering student so sort of put the two together mm. then started doing this thing and just by default won everything <laughs> and that then that then <laughs> extended amazing. to the olympics where he was put on that world stage and all of a sudden everyone went Hang on, what? <laughs> and and like we said, the high job has literally never been the same ever since. No, literally not the same. Right. Would you like to stick with iconic images or would you like to stick with jumping? Well, I know a story that glues them both together and I wanna <laughs> I wanna share well, that. There you go. Okay, so we'll stick with Yeah, actually that was that was where I was going with it, <laughs> but I forgot the whole the whole image part. So tell me about Bob Beeman. Bob Beeman was a crazy man. <laughs> Again, tell me the Olympics. Have you got it written down? Because I can't remember ex- exactly which Olympics it was. It's uh, it's one that should be fairly fresh in your mind. It's actually probably... <laughs> this must be the most iconic Olympics of all time. Because it's Mexico City again. It's that was it. again. Yeah, here we go. So Bob Beeman was an American man who was a long jumper. He and was. on his very first jump, he went out and just destroyed the world record and we're <laughs> like talking obliterated it didn't like he, he li- took it apart well to give you an idea of it he jumped so far that one i think it's still to this day i think it's the second furthest jump of all time it's right up there i, I should have looked it i up. think it's the second of all time but he jumped he jumped he jumped so far that the measuring equipment they had couldn't measure how far <laughs> he jumped now 
as a result of that, they then had to get, literally just get the tape measure out, which is something they didn't do. Obviously, they've got all their precise equipment so they, they don't yeah. actually physically have to touch anything. Mm. Um, but they literally just had to get the tape measure out. And then they <laughs> told him the distance, but they told it to him in meters. And yeah. he didn't know what that translated to in feet because oh, so he didn't know just how yeah. far he had jumped and so basically he was being and all the officials are aghast because they can't believe that a human being has just performed <laughs> like this in front of so them so he's just absolutely obliterated the world record and he's sort of none he the wiser he, does, he, he doesn't did, know obviously you know as an athlete you know like kind of proprioceptively that it feels good when you yeah. do something good but, but you he never didn't know quite how good but yeah. yeah so he didn't know and in the end they eventually got the translation into feet and it was a million feet or however far it was <laughs> And um, well, one meter is approximately a million feet. Yeah. So yeah, it must be several million. <laughs> anyway, so it was like this. And then he, he basically broke down in tears because he couldn't believe it. <laughs> now, at the same time, here we go. This is where it glues into photos. And, I'll, is, and yeah, I will, the, uh, the photography bit is the real kind of... This is one of the juiciest stories I've ever heard. I must, must, must give credit that I actually heard this story from another podcast that I listened to. Um, it was told by Mike Costello, who's a journalist I look up to a lot. Mm -hmm. um, but anyway... He's so, probably the only man in the world that likes athletics and boxing more well, than you do. Well, he's a correspondent for the BBC for both, <laughs> he so he's is. got my dream job. But, <laughs> um, but anyway, so at the same time this long jump was going on, it was the final, it was like the 1500 or the 5000. It, it was a track, you know, a, a very important track race, basically. Yeah. And so as a result, nobody, including all the photographers... Which were, I think the 1500 in Mexico City was... I think that was the one that Jim Ryan finished second in, and it was it it was it was supposed to be a really really special race. Yeah. So, so yeah. Carry so on. so all the sporting photographers, all the photographers that were in the stadium, were all over there, obviously waiting at the finish line and taking Im images of the runners. Nobody yeah. had clocked the incredible performance that Bob Beeman had just carried out, and by chance, it was actually. A photographer, and I can't remember again the name of the photographer. I should have it found this out. It was just an out. amateur photographer. Wasn't it was it? an amateur photographer in the stands yeah. who basically <laughs> got this image of Bob Beeman, uh, you know, a million feet in the air, yeah, just uh, absolutely over, flying over the heads of all the officials, and you can see all these officials absolutely aghast. Mm. Um, and he got this image of that jump. Anyway, all of the photographers then obviously heard about what happened so they all then rushed over because what they wanted to do is they wanted to then take photos of his next jump and, and then send that to the newspapers being, yeah. and go that was it but and this is where this is where history you just you can't make this stuff up fate <laughs> whatever you want to call it Bob Beeman had put on a pair of socks between his jumps it's just amazing it is incredible it? he basically <laughs> I promise it's not a lie he put on a pair after of, his first jump. Yeah, he he wasn't wearing socks. Um, he then put on a pair of socks after his world record jump because it was hot and I think he was getting sweaty in his feet, so he wanted to like, freshen his feet up a little bit by putting yeah. on fresh socks. So he put on these socks, and as a result, he you know he still did good jumps, but they weren't the jump. Mm. So then everyone tried to claim that their photos that they sent off weren't that. But the way that you can tell that it wasn't and that this amateur photographer had got the image, the photo, yeah. was because in some of them he's wearing socks and in the world record jump he wasn't wearing socks <laughs> so that's a ridiculous story by itself that one amateur photographer managed to get this image but this is where it gets even crazier that as a result of that one image obviously he then got loads of money and publicity because he had the image of bob beeman's jump yeah that he then went on to set up a photographic agency which grew to be one of the biggest in the world and now was bought out eventually was bought out by a company called getty so if you've ever seen those watermarks that <laughs> say Getty Images... Yeah, that's every photo ever on the internet. That all stems from Bob Beeman's jump in Mexico.
which is that's a that's about as much history as you can have behind a photo or a jump. Abso- like, absolutely and also, incredible. Probably the best investing that you've ever seen ever. Incredible. <laughs> like, absolutely that, incredible. That photo from the stand. That guy. Like imagine, just him thinking at the time, like ah, oh, like. That was a good photo. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, literally. literally set up the rest of his life and yeah. his children's life and his children's children's life. Well, I'm fairly sure that, that he... F- the Beeman family is now yeah. set forever. Well, the guy who did the guy who took the image, I don't know again exactly his name. And I feel oh, really, sorry, yeah, I Beeman f- feel, I feel, athlete, obviously. I feel disrespectful for not have no checking the guy's name, but I think he now he literally now lives in like Southern California. He's just a surf bum. He's just got a big house and he just surfs, <laughs> and that's kind of what he does. Like he just all the life li- amazing. Anyway, yeah. that's that's my story. Like I say. That story, it's all true. You can all go and check it out. But Bob Beeman, if you don't know, you've got to go and look that up because it's absolutely astonishing. Nice. Yeah, no, definitely. Definitely, yeah, go away. If you're going to research deeply into any of the things that we've talked about today, that's definitely one because <laughs> it's an awesome story. So last kind of iconic image of the Olympics that kind of really stands out to me. Like it, this was one of the things that instantly popped into my mind when I was thinking, yeah, best Olympic moments is... Picture it, if you will. It is a dark night. It's 1960. It's f- I'm pretty sure it's dark, or maybe it's just a black and white photo. <laughs> Either way, running through the streets of Rome. Oh, no, it was dark. S- it was dark. It was dark, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah. 1960, it's dark, running through the streets of Rome is a small Ethiopian man in barefoot. That is Abebe Bakila on the way to winning the Olympic marathon. World record time, I think it was 2.12 or something like that. And that has launched just the African, especially East African, dominance over distance running over the last, yeah. well, how long? Oh, Jesus. <laughs> the last 60 years. It's literally 60 years ago. Yeah. And you, and you know what? I think I remember hearing a story about this. Is I don't think he was the first choice for the Ethiopian Olympic team either. Possibly I th- not. I, I think from what I remember hearing, I'm fairly sure that he had somebody else who was, I don't know their names, but he was somebody else was supposed to go in the team before him but they were injured or they fell sick or something like that mm. so then they called up um Bikila and <laughs> this is just again you couldn't make it up he didn't have any running shoes because he couldn't bring his what, shoes he, tra- he trained barefoot all of his life but here we go this is where it gets even better so he didn't bring his shoes because one of them had a hole in them and he couldn't <laughs> afford to get new ones classic you can't make it up <laughs> and he goes and wins the Olympics <laughs> bare feet <laughs> the guys who are winning the Olympic marathon like now like Kipchoge Kipchoge's a millionaire multi-millionaire yeah he still lives the simple life because that's what he does yeah. for training but yeah I mean without Abebe Bikila you might not have Elia Kipchoge you certainly wouldn't have Haile Gebre Selassie Haile Gebre Selassie I, I think it was Bikila listened to that race on the radio in his village in um, I think it was Addis Ababa or some, somewhere around there listen to the ra- listen, he was listening to the Olympics on the radio that's what inspired him as a kid to start running and okay. to become you know one of the greatest distance runners of all time it's you just don't have Gebre Selassie you might not have Bekele because Gebre Selassie obviously set the ha- the bar so high yeah. for Bekele to then come and match it who knows I mean he was I'm pretty sure he was before any kind of Kenyan runner on yeah. the world scene as well yeah, I so think you're right if you don't have a baby Bekele from the neighbouring Ethiopia like maybe the Kenyan runners don't try yeah they don't have their <laughs> maybe legacy they, maybe they there's no now. inspiration maybe they don't think like oh East African nation like our kind of close nation just won a gold medal at the marathon maybe we should try running yeah you know well the thing again is that when you actually go back because there is some decent archived color footage of this of this event um 
is it's astonishing because as he comes up to the finishing, I would say tape, but it's more like finishing string. Um, mm. It's literally lit by torches. Like they're running <laughs> through Rome with literally big flaming torches yeah. lining the streets. It's uh, astonishing to think. And like you say, there's this man in a simple vest with no shoes on who is just obliterating. Absolutely destroyed the field, by the uh, way. Yeah. I and think I'm going to look this up now because his winning margin was massive. Yeah, it was. Absolutely massive. So while I look this up, I'll just pipe back in when I figure out what it is. Tell me about Super Saturday, because that's we can't have an Olympic podcast and not talk about Super Saturday. So eight years ago, we're in London, we're in the stadium, and it all. And I think this is the, the thing that makes it so incredible is the fact that it wasn't like it was spread out across a day. It was literally spread out across like an evening, like an afternoon. Yeah. And it was, the, no, well, I'll tell you how long it was spread out over. It, it was, was spread over like forty-four minutes. Just uh, astonishing. So we've got Greg Rutherford. Jessica Ennis at the time, Ennis Hill now, and Mo Farah, all winning their gold in their um, receptive events. And it was incredible. I think in order, I think they went in that order. Was it Rutherford, Ennis, and then It was Farah? Ennis, Rutherford, Farah. Oh, I, could, yeah, I knew sure. that Farah was the last. Uh, that, that's just off the top of my head. But, but yeah, Mo was the last. It was his 10,000 win, not his 5,000 win, which anyone who kind of knows about Mo's career trajectory in the 10,000 will know that he was beaten in the 10,000 in the world championships the year before that by Jaylan of Ethiopia so the 10,000 was arguably his kind of weaker one it was the one where it's like oh like maybe he won't win we were pretty sure he'd win the 5k but yeah the 10k was kind of iffy so to do it on that day it's pretty yeah pretty yeah. special out of all of them I think I actually remember Greg Rutherford's uh, jumping the most because I think that he was in silver for a good portion of that event I'm fairly sure that he wasn't in the gold medal position very long. And it was literally just that feeding off the crowd mm. that did it. And that's kind of almost use a phrase kind of the... the well, Greg Rutherford was the biggest surprise. Yeah, of definitely. The, of the thing um, as well. So I've just, I, I've looked it up now. He didn't actually win it by that far. Okay. Bakila. Uh, so his time was 2.15.16. The time behind him, I'm not going to try and pronounce the guy's name. Was, uh, I think that's Morocco. Moroccan guy... 2.15.41. So there's only 25 seconds in it. Yeah. But I think When's 64, I know he defended the title in 64, and I think that was where he just smashed everyone. Yeah, I think so he had yeah, shoes on that, that, that year that as well. Was, he did have shoes on for this <laughs> one. So it was the world record again. So back-to-back Olympic wins in the world record. This was 2.12.11. Second place was Basil Heatley from Great Britain. He was 2.16.19. So wow. he won the Olympics by four Five. minutes. <laughs> That's incredible. That you, you literally could make a cup of tea in four minutes. <laughs> in the time, you, you could, could have given it you to could, Basil as he crossed the line. Yeah, you could, you could, yeah. So you could watch one person finish, go out of the room, make a drink and come back. Come back and, and see second place. Yeah, and celebrate. <laughs> what, do, what, what did I miss? I think <laughs> is probably the most recent medal for Great Britain in the Olympic marathon. I'd, Almost certainly. I Yeah, I don't know that for a fact. Yeah. But I'm pretty certain. <laughs> yeah, it can't be. Um, but yeah, Super Saturday. Like I said, Greg Rutherford, I'm fairly sure for a long, long time he wasn't... Uh, I don't know. He if wasn't, wasn't favoured to win. And I don't think he was in the lead. I think it was like his fourth or fifth jump yeah. that he won it on. That, that's completely off the top of my head and it might but, be miles out. But, but but yeah, so I remember he then went up into the gold medal position. I think it was an American or maybe someone from like Trinidad and Tobago afterwards who right. had who had like one jump left. And when they then failed to beat that thing, we knew that Rutherford had the gold medal, but he had one jump left. Yeah. And it was really funny because obviously you think, yeah, he's going to go for it. 
but I think the excitement that obviously got to him because he does his clap, you know, he's yeah, the like that <laughs> gets the whole stadium clapping with him, and he just I runs. But I wouldn't bother with my last well, jump if it was he, me. He basically didn't. He just yeah. sort of jumped. He jumped like a couple of meters and then just ran out of the sand pit with his I, arms aloft. Yeah, great. that's what I. That's what <laughs> I do is I'd run up and then I'd just like high step it through the sand pit like an American football player after a touchdown. That's literally what he did. Is that he he, he won this he'd won this medal. Um, you know, kind of out of nowhere, like you've explained. And mm. then I just remember really distinctly, he just didn't bother with the rest of the jump. <laughs> he just did half a jump and then just <laughs> ran through the sand. Well, let's, let's talk about Ennis as well on that day because she won it in like emphatic fashion. I don't think she had to do a great deal in the 800 meters, but she had a bit of work to do. Has she still got the highest really s- women's um, score? I think no, it's... maybe possibly in the Olympics. But yeah, I think it I might know be in the KJT Olympic has beaten her British record. Oh, I see. Um, world records... I think Tian has the world record, but I'm not right. 100% sure. I knew, I knew that it was, a, like so, way, I remember like it being a big jump. Let's talk about this 800 meter race, because she absolutely bossed it. Like, <laughs> winning, the hepta- winning the heptathlon or the decathlon and coming kind of, you know, fifth or sixth or something, but winning it on points and, like, not winning the 15 or the 800, it's still obviously really impressive. And there's obviously that iconic image of Daley Thompson being the only man still standing whilst everyone else is laid out on the floor <laughs> after the decathlon. But... Yeah, the fact that Ennis won the 800 just made it, just it just felt it just felt cooler. It's <laughs> I cool. don't know how else to describe no, it. I, I it's just more emphatic that she crossed the line first. She finished the heptathlon first, and she won on points. It 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 matches up nicely. It parallels nicely, and then matches yeah. up, doesn't it? Like to me, for example, like yeah, say if it was a 15 or a 10,000 meter race. Let's just say the 10,000 meter race for some bizarre reason was scored you get a point for each lap that you lead at yeah. 25 you could have the race won by lap 16 and just jog it in <laughs> or not even lap 13 and just jog it in yeah you could have the race won by 5k yeah so somebody finishing a heptathlon or a decathlon let's just stick with the heptathlon somebody winning the heptathlon on points but coming like last in the 800 it's like an overall is it it's like an, they still win is, they're still the, the best athlete in the world it's, but it's sort of it just doesn't have that same feel to it and i think i know the reason why it's because you can have immediate and ongoing celebration because had they've crossed the line last and then been like oh one yeah and gone amazing you there's something about your brain that doesn't look that that doesn't look right because if you just walked in you go they just finished last what's going on yeah like, well she the fact that she won she didn't have to sprint for the line in the 800 meters yeah. like i'm pretty sure the person that she had to get a certain amount more points than was miles back and she was guaranteed like she could have run down that home straight celebrating gesturing to the cloud, crowd like just really milked it but she properly went but for it you got to haven't you if yeah. you're gonna, you know, like, if well, you're, yeah, if you're gonna do it if you're gonna go cool. hard you gotta go hard <laughs> exactly and then honestly Mose at this point won so many gold medals I can't distinctly remember the 2012 <laughs> gold medal I know that, well it was when Rupp came second wasn't it yeah and it was the- him and Rupp well, we won't say too much about the training group now because that's obviously controversial but yeah yeah, it was those, but at the time, like there was no, there was no kind of suspicion or cloud of suspicion no. around that group. So it was awesome to see a Brit and an American in one and two after years, decades of East African dominance. Yeah, definitely. And the fact that it, it gave a lot of hope, the, I think. Yeah, and the fact that it was a, uh, it was that home Olympics as well, and the way that obviously Mo runs his races, the fact that he does run for a big chunk at the back and then at the, you know, in the yeah, middle. Yeah, well, I'm pretty sure in that race he literally, I, in the first lap, he was probably in last place. Like he Definitely. just steps backwards off the line and just slots into last. Exactly. Yeah. So the fact that he ran it in that fashion as well, that kind of, it's the fact that it wasn't a 
oh my god can he hang on it's that build and that build yeah. and that build and that, <laughs> yeah and he built it up the whole way and then again the the sprint finish was just astonishing yeah, because epic, it yeah. because you know, Mo knows how to kick a race, but the fact that he did it with the crowd noise out, we've already got two Olympics in the or two Olympic golds in the bag. Yeah, home Olympics. His training partner finishing second. It was just yeah, the scenes were just ridiculous. Yeah, and I one of my funniest things, uh, funniest things that I remember is that if you go onto YouTube and you can all do this and you watch, I think I know where race, you're going with this. You're gonna think top comment because this is what I'm gonna. This is me just being a YouTube nerd. Basically, he. Mo Farah falls to the ground and yep. Rupp and you're Rupp going exactly where I thought you were going <laughs> and Rupp kind of comes up and spits on the track next to him and <laughs> he's and he goes to, away and he goes to, he goes to roll over and the, the top comment on YouTube if you go and watch it on the Olympic highlights is just don't roll in the spit don't roll in the spit don't roll in the spit <laughs> it's just one of those little funny anecdotes well, again lucky it was only spit to be honest because after it, a hard race like athletes are not I'm no stranger to throwing up after a hard race. Absolutely so. not. Yeah. But that's just, again, it's just one of those really funny little... It's one of those funny little things that just kind of add the spice to... It's just about every... To a moment. Yeah, I was going to say, just about everything that we've talked about has had some kind of fun little anecdote or backstory. Well, the Olympics always do. That is sport. Do, that is what yeah. makes sport truly great, isn't it? Exactly. I want, right. Do you know what? Here we go. I'm, go I'm just going to make this little thing is... I, there's, you can go on YouTube and you can watch a million different compilations of just sporting highlights across all different sports, you know, racing, fighting, football, tennis, anything you want, you can watch them. But yep. I remember, again, this was comments I saw, and it, somebody described these Olympic highlights or sporting highlights as, they said, like, please show this as a highlight role of humanity for when the aliens land or when the aliens <laughs> invade. And it was that sort of thing. Is It just, it defines the absolute best. I don't think you can get more emotional, really, than just... I don't think you can find humans at their best more so than big sporting moments. Yeah, uh, yeah, I'd, I'd be inclined to agree with that. It's like just that. it's a it's a properly good definition of how great people can be, no matter what we do to ruin the world or whatever else you know, you want to get. You know, it's just inflamed yeah, about it, it sport shows at just its how best. Much positivity you can really squeeze out. Or something. Yeah, it's yeah. it's astonishing. Go on, except get in, except in the gymnastics. <laughs> Have you watched Athlete A? By the way. It's no. completely off topic, but it just popped into my head. Watch it. It's brilliant. It's a really good documentary. It shines a lot of light on some of the more... That I should have stuck in the infamous, but we won't go to infamous yet. But basically, USA Gymnastics were terrible people for a large amount of time. Yeah. Anyway, sticking with 2012, if one race to you, or just one moment from 2012, specifically one 100 seconds, really, really stands <laughs> out... <laughs> What what would that be for you? I couldn't possibly be uh, an eight hundred <laughs> meter race, could it? No, no idea what you're on about. Yeah. <laughs> so the eight hundred meter race, I we we've mentioned this before on the podcast. I think this is like ruled third or over David Radisha. Yeah. And a, we're gonna do it again. Just once just more before we get into it. Race. Yeah, there's a really good image of him at the end, and that is that you'll have definitely if you Google David Radisha, it'll almost certainly be the first thing that pops up is him with his arm kind of bent like he's lifting a dumbbell and <laughs> you know he's got that scream of yes I did it you know as he wins his medal but if you watch the video of it the moment where he does that pose he literally only just bends his arm up and it's only about two seconds that that thing's set but someone's got someone's the image in that it. moment right at the perfect time and it just pops and that's again <laughs> so iconic image again inside that iconic amazing race nice like, I'm, I, how much well, how much do we have left to say about this race like it literally 
he's another one that's changed the game of how his event like is run like he goes straight to the front and just is like well i'm gonna go and run 140 you lot do what you want i think for me it's the character change is that it's so like you say he runs an amazing race and the fierce you know the ferocity on his face and the mm. determination in his face is amazing and then he wins a line and after he's just grinning he just it's just it's just it just all of a sudden it just looks cute he's gone from he's just gone from going With being an unbeatable like animal force yeah to yeah literally like, oh, just safe. this cute smiley guy <laughs> who suddenly just obliterated his own world record like it's yeah. just amazing no it, it really is and there's a lot of other stories behind there as well like i haven't actually watched it yet but i saw a clip of andrew saji went on bbc's kind of olympic stories type of thing and he's yeah i c- honestly cannot re- remember what his story was but he was in that final he was actually the fastest last place finisher in an olympic final he ran 143 <laughs> i think in that race oh imagine One, 143 imagine, wins you most olympic finals. imagine that oh. yeah well we were talking about co versus Ovet. Well, Ovet won his olympics in 145 so oh, astonishing yeah imagine coming last with a time like that i know uh, absolutely well, ridiculous seb co was watching that race from the stands as well and i think it was radish's coach was sat relatively close to him Cole O'Connell, yeah. yeah yeah and sort of turn, turns around to him and gestures to him and you can kind of see Co going like, whoa, okay. like just, just looking at that, <laughs> yeah. and you can see it is a kind of like, how did he do that? Yeah, well, I mean, if you stick Co in that race, I don't think he finishes in the medals because um, who was it? Was Nichelle Amos, I think, was second, yeah, Botswana, and then yeah, I can't remember who someone was it, maybe someone from Kenya was third, I think Mohammed yeah. Oman was fourth, yeah, I think you're right, I think it was a Kenyan Nick one, Nick Simmons three. and Dwayne Solomon were somewhere in there as well. Yeah. Uh, obviously, Asagi. Yeah, I don't know. No idea. Like you but say, we don't need to say a huge amount more about it, but it just, again, no, exactly. just uh, one of those definitive races of London. I mean, that's, yeah, definitely. And that's pretty much those two moments are the things that stand out the most to me about 2012. Is there anything else to you that kind of jumps out when you think of 2012? Other than, like I say, other than the fact that just a home Olympics and what a unique experience that is for people. Um, I wasn't really big into boxing at that point, but both Nicola Adams and Anthony Joshua won, yeah, yeah, that's true. won gold medals at that point. So that was really important. It was especially important because I believe that was the first time, I think she won, I think Nicola Adams won the first ever women's boxing gold medal. Wow. Was that I, as in the first ever women's boxing event was in 2012? I think thing don't quote that's me to madness. it madness don't no, don't quote me to it whatever you do because <laughs> it, well, it might have been it might have been 2008 well but. the fact that you think that means that it would have been recently which yeah. is absolutely astonishing considering at the top of the show we mentioned muhammad ali won gold as cash as clay in exactly. 1960 so that's exactly so just it, it shows you again how the olympics is a is a benchmark for progress in a lot of ways <laughs> yeah you know, well to draw parallels from other slow progress but yeah yeah <laughs> progress eventually as it, it's better than them just never introducing it, I suppose. Yeah, exactly. But yeah, there was a yeah, so many moments. And the other thing is because it was local, things like the gold post boxes and stuff like that, and the fact yeah, that there was somebody. Yeah, that's true. You know, there's one in Teddington where yeah. I'm heading off to in a couple of weeks. Yeah, and the other thing is, did you know that obviously? Uh, sorry, we, I think the women's did the women's hockey team win a medal in. That was at Rio. I can't remember. Anyway, but there's a, a kid from Ipswich School who was in the Olympic squad. Oh for, yeah, yeah. For uh, for 2012, and everyone was going, "Oh, we're going to get gold post box and that sort of thing." <laughs> so it was the fact for me that it became, it was close to home, obviously, and that's what made yeah. it so. That's that's what made it. a home Olympics has got that special little spark. And the thing is, we might get another one if we're lucky, but maybe we're, I mean, we're, we're going to be old. We're going to be old and grey. Yeah, I was yeah, going to say London's do. had its 
it's had its fair share of Olympics. Yeah. We had it in 1908. I think there was another one as well somewhere in there. Yeah, but uh, it's just... Where London hosted it, but... But, you yeah, know, nothing else that I could jump up right now, but there's just so many great moments that... Yeah. That, again, was, they are was, that highlight role a, It was sport. a special Olympics, and it's got... It's now has its kind of doping cloud hanging over it as it's... Yeah, it's known as the Dirty Olympics. The Russians were obviously quite prevalent. It was... Russia weren't banned by that time, were they? No. Yeah, yeah the, no, that was, was that was, was, was the one where the Russians just cleared up because they were. Yeah, well, if you if you sorts. go and watch if you go and watch Icarus, um, yeah, on, oh, brilliant documentary. Yeah, on Netflix or Amazon or whatever it's on. <laughs> We've that, the they Netflix explain a lot suge- of that. Yeah. suggestions today. Yeah, so definitely. yeah, everyone, anyone listening, stop listening. Go watch Athlete A. Go watch Icarus. <laughs> watch the Barkley Marathon. There you go. And if you get bored of sports, watch Tiger King. Did you watch Tiger King? I awesome did. show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Loopy, loopy I watched thing. Louis Theroux interview in Tiger King as well. Yeah. they put a bunch of Louis Theroux on Netflix recently. Because they realise there's some money to be made there. Yeah, exactly. Anyway, They're massively we, move, so, move on. Go yes, on. Yes, we will move on. So the last kind of big, iconic Olympic moment that I just want to talk about real quick, and there's not really a huge amount to say with it other than she's awesome, is Kathy Freeman winning the Olympics in Sydney 2000. First ever Aboriginal gold medalist, just yeah, showing again progress. Yeah. The Olympics being a symbol for progress. Yeah, that's it, and, and uh, that's like I say, I, I really want to focus on that kind of highlight role of humanity because the more I think about it, you do think about those moments and you think about the emotion that gets poured in, and it's not just definitely it isn't the fact that it's on such a big stage is what amplifies it and what makes it extra special. Yeah, absolutely. And if we throw it back to kind of the iconic images of the games, Kathy Freeman, I'd say, is definitely one yeah. of those as well. I've seen about a million photos of her, you know, crossing the line. So we'll move on to our next like little segmenty type of thing, and we'll talk about some of the infamous moments of the Olympics. So some of the Olympics moments and things. It's getting very windy out here. Yeah. <laughs> I hope this isn't being picked up. It too doesn't much. sound too bad on my headphones, but no, well, that's all right. So some of the things that you might want to forget <laughs> about the Olympics, but they are things that have kind of shaped its character. And yeah, I think they're worth a mention. Yeah, no, it's important to recognize that. Definitely. So honorable mentions is just the 1936 Olympics in general. And we probably don't want to go into too much detail about it just because it's just in general, there's just, you could do an entire podcast on the 36 Olympics. Yeah. But you can't go past that without mentioning how Jesse Owens just won everything and stood stood defiant as he could. Yeah, I think he absolutely. was invited to leave the relay squad before they went out to the dressing room. <laughs> but the fact that um, that that's obviously the, the, that's the probably the that, big that's probably the big standout moment to me as well from that Olympics. It, well, the fact that no, the, the fact that the good kind of triumph. Obviously, I know this was before. Obviously, the world situation descended. But the fact that when you say that Olympics, the fact that two names come up, one of which the whole world knows as a tyrant and the other knows as somebody who is successful despite the odds. That's what's yeah, important. Definitely. Yeah, it's good versus evil pretty much, isn't it? Yeah, let's go Jesse Owens. Um, exactly. Good Good. ultimately won, so yeah. who cares? Um, another honorable mention as well is the USA's boycott of the 1980 Olympics in Moscow. Uh, that was as a result of them protesting the Soviet invasion of Afghanistan. I honestly don't know enough about politics or you know just anything to really comment too much on that i just know that that's an infamous olympic moment obviously we talked about cohen over earlier in the 1500s now the america america boycotting that olympics meant that there was no steve scott in the 1500 who famously would take it out from you know a longer way out than straub took it from so potentially you might have got a very different race there in the 1500 and we may have been 
looking at a double gold for Steve Ovev potentially or no gold for any of them. Steve, that was Steve Scott's chance to win an Olympic gold medal and he got it kind of snatched away from him. Yeah, you never know. Yeah, well, he was in, he was arguably in that era, probably the third best miler behind those two. So, yeah, who knows what would have been. Um, so we'll kind of gloss over that. Right, do you want to talk about drugs, dehydration, or terrorism? <laughs> those, are the, those are the big three. What, what, what a trio that I'm... I know. Um, <laughs> I mean, I don't really have much expertise in any of them, but dehydration sounds interesting. Dehydration sounds interesting. Okay, so we're going to throw it all the way back to 1908. To Over a hundred years ago. Over a hundred years ago. We're going to throw it back to the first ever marathon distance in the Olympics, like official marathon so they'd had the marathon in the olympics prior to this but this is the first one that was run over the standard distance 26.2 before it had been anywhere between kind of 22 and about 30 miles am i right in thinking that the official distance was only adjusted because it was like queen victoria or somebody in the higher ups of royalty decided that they wanted the race to finish in front of their palace Am I right in hearing that? Um, or is that just something I've picked up from somewhere? Maybe it was the start. That, do- that definitely has something to do with it. Yeah, like it was, that was the point uh, too. The race, something. I know for a fact that this race finished in the White City Stadium. Right. And the reason I know that is because the leader going into the White City Stadium and the guy who actually did cross the line in first, but is not actually the Olympic 1908 marathon champion is, and I'm probably going to butcher the name here, but Donato Petri or Petri of... I think he's Italian. It sounds Italian. Yeah, it does, doesn't it? That might just have been a, a dodgy assumption from us there. But Maybe. Just go and check. We're not <laughs> fact-checked here. Uh, that's fine. <laughs> Someone will comment or something. <laughs> yeah. I made sure to introduce us earlier to, to not get that comment again. <laughs> um, yeah, Strong. so Petri enters the stadium first, pretty much immediately, fall, uh, first of all, tries to go the wrong way around the track. Amazing. Because he's just, he's just wrecked. He's dehydrated he's run a marathon and the marathon took a lot longer in those days which we'll get to when i say the winning times so tries to go the wrong way is redirected by officials and pretty much immediately falls over because he's just knackered and he's dehydrated he's helped up by officials proceeds to then fall over 10 more times uh, sorry four more times wow taking 10 minutes to complete the last 350 meters but you, he does eventually cross the line in first you can't imagine it can you i know by uh, modern well, standards a similar thing did happen um to I've completely blanked on the name now but it's a, a legendary british marathon runner i think in the commonwealth games I really wish I'd looked this up beforehand because I can't remember his name. But either way, we'll, we'll focus on this one for now. Petri is disqualified ultimately for receiving help from the officials who had kind of yeah helped him to stand up and things like that. And that's been kind of a controversial issue within athletics quite a lot of the time. Like you'll just see it from time to time at the end of a race. Someone will become jelly-legged yeah. and will kind of fall over. There was a famous one with the Brownlee brothers yes where yeah, one yeah. of them helped the other across the finish line yeah, and, and a south african bloke yeah came in the, and won yes that's right yeah but who was the real winner of that race <laughs> probably the guy who won actually <laughs> not the the brownie brother that could have won and then the one that nearly died <laughs> i don't, wouldn't count either of them as winners on that particular day overall yeah probably. sport won that day sport, though. yeah sport definitely won morality yeah won apart from the guy who jogged it. i i probably i'm not gonna lie i probably would have jogged it in and won um yeah. But that's besides the point. So the title was given to Johnny Hayes, who I can't remember if he is American or English or not, but 
Either way, Johnny English Hayes, speaking. Yeah, okay. <laughs> he's one of the two. Johnny Hayes gets the title in. So Petri's time was two fifty four. Johnny Hayes' time was two fifty five, which is a testament to just how far marathon running has come in the last hundred years. Yeah, yeah. It, it is one hundred and twelve years since that happened. But at the same time, you know, nearly an hour has been knocked off that time. Like I don't think that people are going to be running the marathon sub one hour in the next hundred years. Absolutely <laughs> not. No. Yeah. No, not unless they suddenly grow wheels. No, exactly. <laughs> like, how difficult would it be to? How fast? Uh, it's only 26 miles an hour, isn't it? So you could yeah. quite easily drive a marathon in that time. But <laughs> still, <laughs> it's still bloody impressive. Um, yeah, so that's, I don't know. What, what are your thoughts on kind of hearing that? I put it as infamous because in my opinion, I think I don't think Johnny Hayes should, I think Petri should have won that race. I think, especially over the course of something like a marathon, because there's 26 miles of of hardcore yeah. like he's done he's done the hard work you think you know sort of almost almost let him have it, it you know it's not it's and not the fact like that it was the first time that they decided on 26.2 being the official olympic distance as well like if it had been 26 he'd have been finished yeah this is it if, and if they'd chosen 26 flat he'd have made it to the line and he'd have collapsed across the line yeah this is it so there's all those things but yeah i can i can definitely understand the identity of that as a as a controversial moment because there are a lot of factors that can't work they weren't set in stone at that point because of exactly the changes and that i were, think had he had he known the rules had he known that that would have got him disqualified i'm sure in the in kind of the heat of competition he probably would have had the presence of mind to refuse help yeah and perhaps the officials wouldn't have actually helped him if they knew as well it was because that's the big thing as well I think yeah i'm fairly certain now that i think of it that johnny hayes is american because i think it was the u.s olympic association that launched the protest ah and i don't know whether he would have consented to it or not if i was the athlete in that scenario i'd have said don't protest it yeah but i mean who knows either way let's talk about drugs juicy <laughs> let's talk about drugs and let's talk about the 100 meters and let's talk about the 1988 <laughs> olympics well yeah. actually that is ultimately yeah everyone so 1988 olympics in seoul six of the eight finalists from the 100 meters had ultimate have ultimately now been popped. failed a doping test have been popped yeah. yeah but the most infamous of all is ben johnson uh, you must have heard of this one i i probably explain the story so Ben Johnson wins the 100 meters from, I think from Carl Lewis. I, I might be wrong there. Either way, wins the 100 meters, absolutely going away. 9.79, massive world record at the time. Yeah. Like this was groundbreaking to the point where when people were interviewed and speaking about this after the race, they were saying this record may stand for 100 years and may never be broken. Yeah. Of course, Usain Bolt has now come along and we know that not to be true, but that's how significant of a performance this was. That would be like somebody in the 10K going out and running about 2530. <laughs> like, it was yeah. just massive. And then about three or four days later, he tests positive, positive for steroids. And it was obviously a massive scandal. I think they made a 30 for 30 about it whilst we're recommending documentaries to yeah. everybody. But yeah, that was that. Was that. The problem, and I'll tell you what, this, this then extends into a position of Again, to talk about Olympics and the identity of them, things like that, is that the athletics and especially sprinting struggles with a real identity crisis with um, doping. And that's probably... We couldn't have an Olympic kind of podcast and not mention the kind of the shadow of doping, especially since we're an athletic focus pod. Yeah. And that, to me, is kind of the 
the biggest kind of drugs bust of all time, I'd say, in yeah. terms of athletics. I yeah. mean, that's, like I say, like that's the equivalent to Bekele or Kipchoge or somebody testing positive Yeah, in the distance running world. Or even at the time, like Bolt. Yeah, well, he this was, is it. He, he at that time was as big as Bolt. Yeah, and, and do you know what? It's really interesting to mention Bolt again. There's a bit of commentary from the BBC. can't remember who it was, but they... I think it's in 2000... Yeah, it must have been 2016 yeah. when he wins his first gold medal, which would have been the 100 in um, 2016 in Rio. Obviously, this is when Russia had been banned and there was a lot of talk around drugs and all this sort of thing. And everyone, yeah. everyone naturally starts pointing the finger at the most astonishing athletes they can think of. Bolt wins and obviously has come up clean in every other test that, he, that he's ever had. Yep. Um, and the commentary from this BBC says he's one here you know, he saved his reputation he's you know he saved his position you know, he saved his position on the throne he saved his um reputation he goes he may have even saved his sport and <laughs> that's just one of those things that again it's sad when you hear stories like that but the yeah. uplifting spin on it is you need those superstars to come in and balance something like that out and it's good that definitely I think well i mean it was that time when tyson gay was kind of uh, not tyson well tyson gay has been he has served a doping ban as well yeah. i think was he the tainted meat guy or not? Either way, that doesn't matter. Yeah. Justin Gatlin is the guy who I was thinking of. Somebody who's now served two doping bans and is still, for some bizarre, bizarre reason, reason <laughs> yeah. is still allowed to compete in athletics. Yeah. And he was, you know, kind of the fastest runner in the world at that time because yeah. Bolt was in very much in the twilight of his career. Yeah, definitely. And it's interesting. It's interesting, especially because. <sighs> And again, this is a conversation that might become more relevant because obviously there's a lot of accusations around Christian Coleman and things like that. And that's oh, sad don't get because me started on Christian. We Coleman. won't we won't get you started on oh, it. But obviously I these to a podcast and they were an American podcast the other day, which will remain nameless. But these idiots were defending Coleman. Well, so like, oh, it's easy to. The, no, the, the, the thing is that with with Coleman, now, I think he's now missed about like twenty bloody whereabouts things. It's ridiculous. The, the, the difficulty comes is that these Olympics, as and when they have, you know been delayed but when they do eventually come the next olympics will be the first olympics in 10 you know over 10 years um over 12 years rather that where there is no bolt where there is no bolt to carry to carry the expectation and the flag something now if christian coleman is running i will not be watching the 100 meters interesting absolutely not anyway um to be fair what we were talking about here as well is relatively new as well yeah so Coleman's never failed a test. He's never tested positive for anything. No. It's whereabouts failures, which yeah. obviously wasn't a thing in Ben Johnson's days. And what was also a thing is there'd be a lot of masking agents and just a lot of ways that you could avoid testing positive. Yeah. So the fact that he actually tested positive for steroids is like pretty careless on yeah. his part. Yeah, careless is a good word. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, the last kind of big infamous moment and probably the most infamous moment in Olympic history comes from Munich in 1972 and that was it's probably the most tragic moment in Olympic history as almost well. certainly yeah yeah and that was the Palestinian group terrorist group Black September basically invaded the Israeli camp the Israeli kind of within the village where they were staying I don't know what the right word for it is I suppose camp yeah they took a bunch of hostages and there was lots of kind of negotiations with German kind of government and things like that. And they were making demands for people to release Palestinian prisoners, war prisoners, something. I don't fully understand the 
politics of it all, but no. but ultimately what I do know of... is that ultimately they killed six Israeli coaches, five Israeli athletes, and one German policeman. Yeah, and the sadness, uh, the other thing comes from that as well is that because of the situation they were in and negotiations falling apart, is there was a lot of delays as to yes, when that there was yeah it was wh- when when do you send in the forces how do you send them in and and, and basically it was a process. long process and it almost that olympics was almost cancelled yeah it is uh, deeply it is deeply sad because of those again it's the decisions i, I know that you cannot compare this to obviously what we took, opened up the pod with ranting about london but it just goes to show that yeah there is parallels there though you know the in the indecisions of how you treat situations in greater context um whether that's on how do you try and save athletes life or how do you try and save their event or whatever it might be is it's those decisions sometimes need to be firmly made absolutely in order for the, I, there to be the mo- the best hope for the whole situation exactly and the fact that it was the olympic games in berlin as well with obviously the whole history of the previous games yeah, yeah. Well, sorry the olympic games in munich and it was the berlin olympic yeah, games yeah. that had the the history behind it in 36 like they were Really, I can't remember what they what they kind of captioned that Olympic Games. It was something to do with kind of the friendly games or the happy games or something like that. Yeah. Something to try and kind it's of make amends. And then for this to then go and happen is, it, yeah, you know, it put a real sour taste on the whole game. Yeah. So I think they made the right decision to still go ahead with it. But the thing is, is that when you have these moments of tragedy and when you have those things that you don't. W- <laughs> You know, the phrase of we won't let the terrorists win is something that gets tossed around at every single opportunity when there are these tragic events. But you need mm. to have, and again, we've already talked about it, and it's pr- probably a good parallel. I completely forgotten you were going to talk about this, but <laughs> having that highlight reel for humanity, you need to have something positive and uplifting to at least carry the spirit of people forward. Definitely. And you can't focus continuously on something horrible like that as an incident mm. for it to completely tar with the same brush over over the olympics as an event and as a human a series of achievements absolutely no i couldn't agree more i think that's a good note to end our infamous events on um i did just realize it just popped into my head because i was thinking about kind of the iconic events of that 72 olympics and i think it was it was either 72 or 76 that um why have i just blanked on his name that lasse viren attempted to do the 5,000, 10,000 and marathon triple yes. to emulate the achievements of Emil Zatopek in 52. And I, I have mm. it written down here and I don't know why we didn't bother talking about <laughs> it, but another one to add on to our best Olympic moments was that Zatopek triple because that's never been done before and will probably never, never be, be done, done since. No, no, so, way. no way. Yeah, 5,000, 10,000 marathon, Zatopek won them all. The marathon was the first marathon he'd ever run. <laughs> At one point he why turned not? to... I can't remember who it was, but he turned to somebody and he said, how's the pace? This guy says, oh, it's slow, even though they were on world record pace. And (laughs) Zatopek just says, oh, okay. And then just ran away from him, never to be seen again. That guy later, I think, had to withdraw from the race as well because just couldn't believe what Zatopek had done. Similar to... um, Similar to... I've completely forgotten his name. It's not going to come to me. Basically, the first big international Steve Ovet ran in the 1500. He just destroyed some guy. It was a Kiwi who was the world champion at the time. He's, I think he's also run the most sub-four-minute miles of any athlete ever. Oh, wow. But Ovet's kick just demoralized him so much. Just 
mentally just completely destroyed him that he just stepped off the track with 150 meters to go because he couldn't believe what Ovet had done. <laughs> anyway, we'll finish off with one last little segment. Go on. And it's almost like a throwback and a preview all in one. Oh. And then we're going to talk about the last time the Olympics was in Tokyo to give us uh, some inspiration for what we might be in for next year. So last time the Olympics was in Tokyo, it was in 1964. Is there anything to you that stands out about that? That 1960 You're looking pretty blank, right? 1964 <laughs> was the year that was my my dad was born. That's, that's as much as I'll there say. He'll be Two listening years before and England won me. the World Cup. There you go. Great, great stuff. But it was the same year that Peter Snell did the iconic 800-1500 meter double. Only person in history to ever have done that, despite some of the greats like Cohen Ovet, for example taking their own cracks at it uh, i know mcclufey who won the 1500 in 2012 despite what you may think about him you'd think that he wouldn't be an athlete capable of doing that he tried it in 2016 and i think he took home either a pair of silvers or a pair of bronze right but yeah that was arguably one of the most impressive olympic achievements of all time yeah. just to jump and in though what did kelly holmes do in 2000 Okay, male. There we go. <laughs> just want to throw that in there because <laughs> equality was 2020, guys and girls. Uh, this is true. This is true. Um, where was I going with that? Right, Peter Snell. Yeah. So what else happened in 64? What else can we look forward to in 2021? I'll get onto that in a sec because <laughs> I do want to rant about Peter Snell's coach for a minute, Arthur Lydiard. So this was kind of the first big Olympic win for Lydiard, the first big success. And he's somebody who anyone who kind of knows anything about kind of distance running training and kind of the theory behind it all will know that Lydia has pretty much set the standard for how just about everyone now trains and it's been kind of adjusted by coaches more recently so people like Bauman people like uh, Peter Coe people like uh, I've forgotten his name now um, Kieran Clements yeah Kieran Clements yeah people <laughs> like me um, Jack Daniels the guy I was trying to think of it's, makes whiskey doesn't he <laughs> he does makes whiskey and he makes good runners and makes v dot calculators <laughs> um yeah he kind of brought lydiard into the the mainstream right. and i think perhaps running training now long distance and middle distance training now might be slightly different to what it is if it weren't for snell's success at the 64 olympics nice uh, so what else happened at that olympics well it was the first olympics to ever be held in asia fun fact about that yeah which seems like Seems crazy. Fair, yeah, it seemed like there'd been a fair few Olympics yeah. until that. Yeah, but I think uh, the reason that sounds so ridiculous is because you think of Asia, it's a pretty big place. It's a very large place. <laughs> pretty big place. Yeah, and fair enough, Tokyo geographically is quite far away, but other Culturally, places... Culturally, it's massive, yeah, yeah. But other places in Asia aren't geographically that far away. No, not at all. Although at that time, maybe perhaps weren't quite as developed as they are now. No, well, there's a lot of dictators that ruled over big parts of Asia that meant yeah. that life for people and infrastructure was pretty bad. So again, we won't get political. <laughs> but, uh, no, we won't. We'll try our best. A lot of Timbot dictators over there. <laughs> okay, well, we'll talk about another iconic moment from that Olympics as well. And it's probably... Again, in my opinion, it's the most iconic bit of commentary of all time. Yeah, we spoke on. about this on another <laughs> podcast. And that was with Billy Mills winning the 10K for the USA. Look at Mills, look at Mills. Not favoured at all. The, the only person I think that actually thought he might stand a chance of even finishing in the top three was himself. <laughs> and yeah, goes and wins it. He's in third place with 100 metres to go. And there's an interview with him where he's saying he's he's got 100 meters left and he's saying to himself 
I did it. I won. And he's still in third. So, yeah, I mean, that's crazy. It's probably, go and watch it on YouTube. Best bit of commentary and probably the funniest looking sprint you'll ever see. <laughs> I've never seen such high knees on a 10,000 meter runner. Um, dipping back into being political again as well. South Africa were banned for this Olympics because of apartheid. Unreal, Unreal isn't it? Yeah, crazy that, I mean, it's only 56 years ago. It's, it's within like our parents' lifetimes and... Maybe Just some about, people, yeah. maybe some people that are listening to this and all that sort of like that sort of time scale is madness. Absolute yeah. madness. No, it absolutely is. Um, well, if we were to make a list of going back to what you said about Kelly Holmes, if we were to make a list of women's events that weren't able to be run in this Olympics, I think that list would be extensive. Yeah, no, it'd so, be quite shocking. And that's yeah. just within athletics. We talk about other sports and things as well, like you said about boxing. Yeah, pretty, pretty mad how far behind the times they were. Yeah. Um, but. On that note, it was the first ever Paralympics in 64 in Tokyo. Very good. So very. Yeah. I also know, you know here we go. somewhat progressive. I also know, and this is something that I just remember hearing once. This is like an Olympic video on YouTube or something. But Japan, I don't know exactly if it was around this time, but Japan basically changed the game in swimming because they okay. essentially worked out some technique that the Americans weren't doing. It's about rolling your shoulders because originally they, they thought, right, you need to stay as flat as possible. Japan kind of started secretly and they barely had any swimming pools, but they were teaching this uh, method of like rolling your shoulders and extending your reach. And as a result, they just went and blanketed over all the medals in like the world championships or the Olympics or something like that. But Japan's kind of influence on sport you don't tend to think of japan as necessarily the most sporting don't nature think of them as a swimming nature <laughs> no it's the most sporting I think if, nation, maybe if i were to think of japan's national sport i'd think marathon yeah yeah yeah, so, um, yeah that's interesting so the fun fact but yeah um but yeah that's another little japanese anecdote i can think nice. of that's a good little anecdote hey maybe they'll have revolutionized another sport by the time we get to 2021 <laughs> if, if we ever get to 2021 <laughs> yeah exactly maybe they'll have some crazy I don't know, judo technique that's just unbeatable. Yeah. Well, here we go. Just one last thing that I'll sort of throw in as my anecdotes. When I was in Tokyo last year, um, is they have all the... Humble brag. It is a humble brag. <laughs> it was great. Um, yeah. They have... I'll tell you what, no, Japan sporting-wise, they're, they're rugby, they did really well because I was over there for the Rugby World Cup. Oh, they um, did, yeah. And they, yeah. They, they did really well. Lost to South Africa, as we did, but, you know... <laughs> hey ho um they had these countdown clocks spread out throughout the city um so they're amiga who are the timing company the watch company mm-hmm. etc who do um obviously all the clocks that and they've got all these clocks that were spread out throughout the city and i want to know what point did those clocks get reset that they had another 365 days put on them? <laughs> <laughs> that's a good point yeah, yeah don't know. like because it was really even though the rugby world cup was obviously an active event when i was there mm. all the olympic mascots were all over the place you saw so much infrastructure already in place for yeah i bet well i bet a lot of people were thinking of that rugby world cup as almost an advert for the olympics yeah like a test effectively yeah, yeah just yeah. like testing the inv- the underground system and the infrastructure and all that yeah, sort of thing that you need yeah. to do yeah so sure. interesting yeah because well like we said like it's been six <laughs> How long? Yeah, yeah. 56 years? Yeah, yeah. Am I getting my maths right there? That's 56 right. years since they've hosted the Olympics. So it's not like it's fresh in their minds. No. Um, so another kind of iconic performance that comes from that is GB's Ann Packer. Again, along the lines of equality, like you mentioned with Kelly Holmes. Ann Packer in the women's 800. She won the race. She set a world record in the 800 meters. But what's really astonishing about that performance is that was her first ever international race <laughs> over that distance. Imagine that. You just rock up and you've got all these new sights and sounds and smells and everything that's going on. It's Sens- just, I mean, the sensory whole overload. thing is a new experience. <laughs> and she's just, 
I mean, she's harnessed that to its absolute maximum. I'd like to know, and this would be such a difficult list to compile, but I'd like to know if there's anybody else in any other event that's never competed internationally before and then has just blitzed it on the best <laughs> yeah. stage. So when I was researching for this, that was the only bit of info that I got. So she may well have done, you know, like an international friendly in something like the 1500 or the 400 meter, and it was just her first ever international at the eight. Yeah. But... I know what you mean. Like, I'd like to think she was just a complete novice. Like, I'd like to think she just got lost. Just, she took a wrong turn when she was looking for a seat and yeah, just ended, ended up, up in the, <laughs> on the track. <laughs> and ended up just winning the 800 meter final. Oh, what? Oh. And then she realized she had to get back to her hotel room. She had to check out the next morning. Well, that's almost how the... Uh, that, we discussed this on another pod, didn't we? Like, that's almost how the early days of women's marathon running had to kind of come about. Like, they had to sneak their way into the race or they had to dress up like a man or... They're to real. fight off people trying to pu- push them off the course. So yeah, it's real. It's yeah, amazing. Huge shout out, huge, huge shout out to Anne Packer for paving the way for people like Kelly Holmes and like Paula Radcliffe and, you know, in the modern day, people like Laura Muir. So, yeah, yeah, awesome. And then the last little kind of fun fact I have about the last time that the Olympics was in Tokyo is that was also the last time that they used a cinder track for the track events, which... I mean, if you think about old-timey running, you think cinder tracks, don't yeah, you? Yeah, so you think about dust, dust being kicked up as you go. <laughs> exactly, yeah. There's, like, heavy footprints in the track. But, <laughs> yeah, no, so 68 is when they moved to synthetic tracks, and obviously they haven't looked back since. They now have even faster Mondo tracks that they'll use for the Olympics, like what they had in London, another reason why that track was so fast. Um, but, yeah, the last of the... Uh, old-timey olympics i suppose you could call it yeah yeah well i mean like i said the olympics is a a beacon for opportunities for progress in so many ways culturally scientifically obviously sport sportingly as well that's a word yeah It, it, it defines the olympics is a good opportunity to define so much and for and to look towards the future as well as obviously being able to have amazing moments to look back on so yeah, I'm really happy that you put that in there, actually, because that's a good little, like you said, bookends. There yeah, you go. <laughs> oh, what it. a word. Great word. That's no, a good note to end on. Um, I'm sure we've missed tons of things, as ever, if there's something that we've got horribly wrong or if there's something that it we could discuss further or could have its own podcast. I'm sure literally any of the games we could do an entire, you know, I will couple happily, of hours on. I will happily, happily, because, I mean, we've spent, we're coming up to two hours almost today Ooh, already. Yeah, Jesus. it was 1.45 o'clock's at. Oh, wow. Um, but we can, I we will, can probably just about keep that as a one-part. Yeah, yeah, um, no, we'll, we'll do it. But I could happily talk about Olympic stuff. So, as Kieran says, if there are any... Anything that we've missed, maybe. Yeah, yeah. Images, records, moments that stand out to you. Get in touch with Kieran or myself. We'd love to hear them. We'd love to create Absolutely. them I, as a. I think it's fair to say we've been fairly GB bias here as well. Obviously. So there's probably tons of kind of. I know a decent amount of American kind of history as well. Here we the go. Time that I spent there. So. Oh, no, here we go. go this, this could be a good. What about this for a pod? Leave comments if you like the idea of this. We do a pod and we're not allowed to talk about. Team GB, and we're not allowed to talk about Team USA because let's be honest, they <laughs> we're going to naturally be GB biased, and USA win everything else. So yeah, that would be a tough one. I mean, that would be a, that would be an interesting we'd one to do. just end up talking about Kenya and Ethiopia all day. I don't know though, because there'd be a lot of other things like yeah, there's there's, lo- there's so many other sports that you could jump into. I reckon no, that could be something fun. But anyway, like I say, if there's there you go, I'll throw it out to the listeners. If there's an idea or there's a format for a pod that you think could be a lot of fun that's Olympic based. Give us some ideas, because I would love I would love to structure some ideas. Yeah, no, that would be fun. That would be fun. Right, cool. I think that's a good good enough note to end on. Fabulous. Right, so as ever, thank you everyone for listening in. 
I'm not going to give the usual advice because it feels like it's outdated. <laughs> feels like now, that's done it? now. It's not really funny anymore. So no, it's not. <laughs> thanks for tuning in, and yeah, we'll see you next time. Thanks again, everyone. Thank you.